Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 417. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. Good morning. Guess what? Big show. Big show. Big show today. Not just necessarily in length. I have no idea how long the show's going to be, but big in terms of importance to me personally, to both of us. I, You mm-hmm. know, if I was really like uh, like one of those people who like planned ahead, Noah, I probably would say we should have saved this show for our 10th anniversary. That's that's how important it is to me. Uh, they said it could never be done. They said Linux was too far behind. They said Apple owned the market, and it was impossible. But today, we prove them wrong. Linux shows up for the job and gets it done. We'll tell you how we are doing our live broadcasting, streaming to multiple destinations, recording all of it, even doing live events under Linux. And we're going to go in-depth in a way we never have before, because we've just recently built new Linux rigs to do this, set up Linux servers to accomplish this, and uh, using all free and open source software, as far as I know. For the most part, I guess. We'll get into that in the details. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I'm making sure. I'm going to double check. But yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I can't think. I don't know about, uh, well, we'll talk about it. In the segment, but it's super exciting for us to see Linux at this point. And in our pick segment coming up, there's another application that I never thought would be this far along for for, for production under Linux. And uh, even if you have no interest in the multimedia side of it or the broadcasting side of it, the sheer monumental achievement that I think it is for Linux is worth it if you're just a Linux fan to stick around and listen to this week's episode because it's. Really freaking exciting! Uh, in the news segment, uh, we have some really interesting things to dig into this week. I'm also I, I feel like the news segment could be its own show. Uh, ZFS for Linux has truly arrived. We'll tell you by which marker we are now making that proclamation. Uh, Fedora is implementing H.264 support, but it looks like total crap, and I can't understand why they're doing it all. And in fact, it's I think it's going to lead to a worse user experience. So we'll tell you about how they're blowing that in the news segment. And then United RPMs is coming along. Uh, because, let's face it, if you want to run modern Fedora, Fusion RPMs isn't really working for you, so they have a solution, but there is a major newbie rookie mistake they're making. We'll tell you about that. Intel is preparing a major restructuring after the whole blowing it with Skylake. Drivers will tell you about the fixes they plan to make, and then prepare your wallet because there's a great game for Linux. It's not like a shoot 'em up game, it's like a totally chill-out and enjoy space. Although, it might not be for everybody, but I'll tell you about it coming up. And then we've got the feedback segment where, I think, Noah, is this the episode where we're going to talk about uh, entitlement a bit in uh, the open source community? Yes. So that's a, there's an interesting email that came into the show that brought up this subject, and there's been some recent blog posts, so we're going to talk about that in the feedback segment, as well as a few other things. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got? The picks! I thought you were going to ask! <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. It's because it's such a big show. There's a lot to get to. Yeah, it's the picks. And uh, this is interesting. It's very multimedia. The Light... Uh, what is it? I'm make sure I get this right. The Lightman Group? Yeah, Lightman Group freaking runs Have you really Linux. not seen Lie to Me? Uh, you know what? I haven't, but I just I YouTubed uh, this group. I uh, YouTubed the songs and stuff just before we started, and I totally do recognize it. Uh, but yeah, yeah before so, I did this, nah, nah. Okay, so this is, you can add this to the list of things that Chris really needs to see that he hasn't seen. 
You know, here's that, the this thing. This was on that list. I I am making a concerted effort to switch over to content that is distributed by the makers freely. Um, oh, okay. Okay. It, it, never basically, mind. this they, is not one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I, no, I, I no, like I'm that not, idea. I'm not better. trying to be a, like holier than thou. Like I'll no, still watch no. commercial stuff, but basically, right. if they want if they want to make it hard for me to watch it freely and easily, I'd rather watch the content creators that are making stuff that they don't mind if I download it. They don't mind if I stream it. Like I'd rather watch that. So yep. you that's know what? what I, After my experience this week, you you I'm right on. Yeah, good on you. That's just where I put the vo- but but that doesn't mean if it's a good show. Like I'm watching Silicon Valley right now. I'm like I'm liking that. So if it's a good show, I'll I'll watch it. So light. Man Group is what? Tell me. So there, there's, uh, there's there's a show called Lie to Me, and basically it's uh, it's based loosely on the true story of of the guy who came up with microexpressions or discovered microexpressions. Basically, the idea that there are certain things that the human body does that you can't hide when you're lying, and so he forms a consultant group that can basically interview people and tell them if they're lying. So corporations hire him, or the, it works a lot with law enforcement, that kind of thing. And one of the one of the things, obviously, they use uses a lot of software to you know to work on their cases and um ham radio actually caught this and sent yeah. this in i'm glad you guys They're got it still because I would, I would play the actual clip but uh youtube has already pulled it down let's see he uploaded yeah, he just it uploaded this morning too yeah he uploaded it this morning and they've already pulled the clip off <laughs> i love those python scripts dude so yeah we do have a still of it for uh, for proof he's sitting there in front of a linux box uh chillaxing while he works i love it that's a pretty high profile runs Linux, Noah. That sounds like a cool yeah. show too, actually. It is it is it is a really cool show. Although I don't know if it's cool enough to uh, to suggest that you compromise on on your on your uh, on your effort to cut down on It's not on, a, like I said, it's not a hard rule. It's just like right. that's, it's, it's one of the many like metrics I follow to make a decision before I watch something. That's basically yeah. it. Uh, so yeah, that is really cool to see Linux there. You know, uh, also just sort of a ten- tangential uh, runs Linux that the uh, subreddit submitted today. I wonder if I could find out who it was, because they just submitted it this morning. Uh, it was, um, yeah, here it was, by Paperclip, which is a great name. That uh, who the Mr. Robot show? I don't know if you've seen Mr. Robot. Oh yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. okay, uh, yeah, multiple times. Good, yeah. good, good. They have a new uh, quote-unquote viral marketing site, which basically makes you know, Linux users look like hackers. So you see Grubs loading. Look, that's like the whole boot sequence of Linux, and then you're into a command line here where there's typing going on. There's there's hacking happening. Uh, and it's, so it's whoismrrobot.com, and it runs in your browser. And you know, you know what's nice about it? Not Flash. <laughs> it's not Flash. It's pretty That's neat. Awesome. It's, yeah, watch it again, Noah. Watch the watch it as it see Grub right there, and then it loads the Linux kernel. It does the whole boot sequence. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, a couple of couple of neat sites. Uh, Mr. Robot's another another one of those where I would uh, I would break that rule to watch that show. So pretty cool. Check it out. Uh, we'll have a links to the imagery in the show notes, and you can find uh, the other one is who is Mr. Robot? I think it was. We'll have a link in the in the subreddit. Okay, so let's take a moment and talk about DigitalOcean, sponsor right here on the Linux Action Show, and really uh, a key part of our production process now. It's really something. Once you have Linux infrastructure on demand that is super quick to spin up and low cost with great performance and an easy interface, it, it over time just becomes more and more of a game changer. Just as an example, we had a couple of, uh, we, had, we had two droplets that were doing some streaming work for us, and we decided it would be better to change up how we do them. We because the because it's five dollars a month to run these droplets, we are able to spin up a third droplet, transfer all the settings we need, configure the new one, get everything working, have all three droplets running concurrently because the cost is near nothing in terms of what we're doing here for the kind of scale of work we're doing. 
get the third one perfectly configured, spin down that second one, and might make a easy, smooth mi- migration. In fact, it works so well that if you're watching this show live right now, that's just what happened last night, and you don't even know it. It's such a great way to work, and the interface makes it so easy and so possible. And What's even better about DigitalOcean is once you become a more advanced user, you can start to take advantage of things like their API, which are wicked cool, uh, which we now are able to manipulate any of the properties of my droplets using bots that use the API. It's super nice. And if you use our promo code, here's the thing, all one word, lowercase, slurred, here's the thing, you get a $10 credit. Now, $5 a month, you can spin up that $5 rig, run it for free for two months. They've got Ubuntu, they've got Debian, they've got CentOS, they've got CoreOS, they've got, of course, even free Bizzle. And uh, I think you'll find that it's a pretty nice solution with great documentation, really great guides, including like this new guide right here on how to set up OpenVPN on Ubuntu 16.04. Now, I kind of feel like, no, we should save how we're using these droplets for our production segment, even though it would make good ad content. We're legitimately well, not using it for any other any other reason than it's I mean, the best solution. We can, we can leave it at this. This won't give anything away in the actual segment. Is that it's, all you have to know is that last night, in order to... Te- we're basically trying different things, right? And then it doesn't work, and then we're restarting <laughs> over. So one way to do that is, we, we, I mean, first, we can just blow those servers away and restart them, right? Which is, that's beneficial enough. But the second thing that we can do that ha- that was even more useful was, I just spun up like five of them. I just, I just spun off like five droplets, and then I was trying a different thing simultaneously on all five in five different terminal windows. And then finally, when we got the one that worked, then I just blew the other ones away and ran that for a little bit, and then eventually migrated that into the main server. That is a nice trick. That is a really yeah. nice trick. Uh, I, I can't wait to tell you guys how uh, the cool stuff we're doing with the API to, to spin up systems on demand for us now and stuff like that. We'll tell you about that, though, in the actual like stuff we're working on segment. But right now, I'll just say, uh, for us, it is our go-to infrastructure. They've got data centers all over the world, New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, uh, Toronto. So if you just want to be near Alan Jude, I understand. They've got that. You could run FreeBSD and get in tight. They make it super easy to add your SSH keys. They have an HTML5 console, so you can watch the thing from post all the way up to login, which is really nice when all of a sudden you can't ping the rig anymore, and you want to know why you're not getting a response. Having that quick console access, access even from like a tablet or phone, is unbelievably convenient, especially when you're in a pinch. Really great UI. Just check it out. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code. Here's the thing. So that way, uh, we get a little credit. It keeps our show going, and it is a great Frickin' resource, all running on top of Linux with SSDs for all of their storage. So it's just super nice. And uh, Wes from Linux Unplugged is using LXD for containers. And of course, they work great with Docker and everything. DigitalOcean.com. Thanks, DigitalOcean. So really quite excited because it fits in with the whole theme of our show. KDN Live has, well, hi there. Hello. KDN Live has released a new version. Uh, it kind of like matches up in, in numbering. 1604 was released in April. And it is a hell of a release, Noah. Not only does it just break, make one of the best uh, video editors under Linux uh, a little bit nicer, but uh, the overall polish is really superb. And instead of just telling you about it, I just thought I'd show you, because I got it installed mm-hmm. right here. And uh, here, let me, I'll zoom in and enhance uh, out one little thingy here. But I've loaded uh, here in KDN Live, I've loaded a clip that uh, we'll be playing later in the show that I was just adding a few tweaks to. So uh, you can see this is a, it's a Qt application running under my GNOME desktop, and it works just fine. And one of the first things that jumped out at me is uh, it's, it's not holding my hand. Uh, for example, um, 
it, it's using the correct terminology like alpha manipulation and uh, the different terminologies you actually use for for mm-hmm. the, in editing. So it's not like they're mm-hmm. like iMovie uh, I, I equivalents. They're like the actual professional right. tool. Uh, and I really like the way here. I'll draw your attention. You right notice right here on the uh, the beginning of the clip. No, I added a little fade. That's that what that little uh, triangle is here on yep. the beginning. Yep. That try that that fade has these little handles at the top that I can drag to change the fade length just right there, which I think is a really nice UI way to to manage that. Also, this is not some of the stuff isn't new, but if you you know as a Lightworks editor, so I'm just showing some of the stuff uh, that you can see they have the audio waveform right there in the uh, in the main clip, which is nice. And if I yeah. wanted to go in here to audio, I could bring down an audio compressor, or uh, I could add uh, you know d- different stats right here. Again, the real terminology of the actual uh, effect. So now I have a fade in, which I don't know if I've rendered yet, but I have a fade in. And uh, you can see in the editor, I can play back in real time. I've applied an audio compressor. By the sound sound mixer over there, a dirty paper towel. So that's the clip I'll be playing later. And I've been able to add in a crossfade for both. I shot this on a phone, brought it in, started editing. It has no problems working with this H.264 file at all. Uh, I could totally see this becoming my main editor. For the kind of editing, really, yes. Even over what's the one that you were using? Uh, Final Cut. Was oh, oh, no, for uh, Avid Mux, just for ins and outs is like my daily editor, okay. uh, just gotcha. to mark in and outs of clips. Uh, this though, like you want to bring it in, add a few transitions, you want to, uh-huh. uh, you know, tweak a few more things. If I'm just tweaking audio levels and I'm just converting from one format to another and I'm just marking it in and out, I use Avid Mux, which is like ninety percent of my workload for Unfilter, for example, or like playing clips in these shows. But if I want to maybe shoot a couple of things on a camera phone or on a, on a GoPro and maybe release a video for the patrons, that a lot of times is when I'd have to sit down and go to Final Cut to actually get that done. And it always drove, uh-huh. drove me crazy because I'm doing all this work under Linux, all this work under Linux, and I take a step up, and I just didn't find anything was up to snuff. This right yeah. here, though, I don't know what it would be like with like a two-hour project. That's where these things tend to get a little hairy. But right now, I'm telling you what, this is my new editor. Straight up. Really? This is my video editor now. Uh, this has gotten... Here's the other thing that's nice about it. It hasn't crashed on me. Like, I'm... Dirk, this is a problem I used to have with a lot of the editors under Linux, quite literally, was they would crash on me constantly. This has not been a problem. This really feels like it's had good, consistent development. It's gotten to a point where there's a lot of stuff that I really like, and I've just started playing with it this weekend, and I love it. I love it a lot. What, so. what, what version is the, the one that just came out now? 16.04. Sort of matches up with the Ubuntu oh, the, release. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and then uh, my, my, I had uh, one other question. It, do you know, this isn't a big deal, but is there a dark mode or a, a dark theme? I would imagine that if I brought up my QT uh, theme settings and changed it to dark, then it would be dark. Gotcha. Or maybe See, here's if people know a way to do it under a GT, under GTK, I would I'd love to not have to install whatever I'd have to install to do that. Probably I'd have to install a whole ton of the Plasma desktop, so... You know, the truth is, like, uh, yes, I edit under Lightworks, but I am not married to the solution. In fact, I I rarely have anything super good to say about it. It's just it, it's a tool that I use that works. But I would love, love to move off of it onto something that is more open source and that I'm not always because I am tiptoeing around kind of afraid that someday edit chair is just going to say, like, say, well, you know, actually, really, we just don't care about Linux anymore. Yeah, that is one thing, thing that I- happen. I really respect is uh, uh, that they have continued to move development forward over time uh, on a on a on a fairly reliable release schedule. I guess there is a dark mode in the settings. I don't see it, but uh, 
I guess there is one in here. So I suppose if you just dug around in the actual settings itself, I'm right now I'm looking at like I like a lot. I can set I can set how many cores I wanted to use. This is another thing that a lot of video editors are trying to get away from is allowing you to specify these kinds of settings. Uh, so I like that they're giving me that that option that control back again. Has built-in support for uh, uh, capture cards and Black Magic devices specifically. It has controls specifically for Black Magic devices, which is kind of an interesting thing because I have some of those. So I might like to play with that as well. I'm really excited about the new Cadian Live. It came out, you know, a few weeks ago, but we just really haven't had a chance to talk about it. So look at this. Bypass codec verification. Hmm. Hmm. Get metadata. Hmm. Interesting. I have to play more with this. This just started this weekend, and I like it a lot. So that's the new Cadian Live, and that is uh, our spotlight, which surprisingly, or I'm sorry, our desktop app pick, which surprisingly has never been uh, an app pick before. So it seemed like a good time. We to... have a surprise desktop app pick this week. Did oh. you know that? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to have like a surprise <laughs> bell somewhere. Where's my, I don't, uh, hold on. There you go. What is it? That Noah? worked well. What's the surprise desktop? Our app surprise pick? desktop app pick this week is Stack P. And this, quite frankly, is an app pick that I'm going to use to troll you a little bit. It is a, <laughs> it is a easy file receiving application, and there's a link in Telegram. But basically, what it does Telegram. is it, you you, <laughs> you install it on you install it on a server, and basically, I can drop. You, I what? all I have to do. My understanding is, I just drag a file in, I drop it, and then you receive the file. So it's kind of like thinking. <gasps> so is it using WebRTC? Basically, you think a mini? So. It must be right. Uh, so it's uh, huh, how do you use it? Doesn't say. Interesting. Uh, it looks like it's written in Python, maybe? And they have a command line version, too. Yeah, yeah. Python is the, at least the command line version's Python, that's for sure. So, basically, this is what I'm thinking might be a great way for me to get show segments to you. You're such a jerk. You're such a... Sync thing. Sync thing, you <laughs> bastard. Sync thing. It's all it takes. Or, you know what? I'd even use... I think... Didn't I give you one of the Dropbox accounts? Didn't I? I, I think. Maybe. Those things, yeah, maybe. Those things are gold, man. Those things are gold. Yeah. yeah, you should use that. You should use that. Okay. Just because we pay that. a lot for that. I tell you what, yeah. though, sync thing is great unless you reload your boxes constantly. And then once you like re are re or 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 yeah. your machine has dead hard drives like that yeah. kind of thing. I like, thought I thought about that the other week. Did you like what I did though? Yeah, that was smooth. That was nice. You I'm gave me the FTP or or the sync thing. Look at you. That's because I don't have it up on a droplet, which is really what I need to do. Uh, mm. Okay, are you ready for the spotlight? You ready to give a little love to something that I you am. and I have had a tough time with recently? I am. I just think this is worth noting. I'm being on full disclosure here. I'm no longer running Ubuntu 16.04, but I did say in the review that if I started to see snap packages come out for some of the applications I use, I would consider running it as my daily driver. And this week, Telegram has been packaged as a snap package yes. for a 16.04. And this is a That's big awesome. one for me. And... Uh, I don't know if I don't know if we're going to see this as a trend. I've seen a few other apps packaged up as snaps, so now you don't have to go get a PPA or anything like that. This snap will just install. In fact, I guess you can install it by just searching for Telegram in the software center, um, or no you could or you could just do sudo snap install Telegram dash Serginus or Serginus or that's the guy's name. Uh, it's a it's a canonical employee who is the one that packaged this up. So it's not Telegram themselves, which is a little disappointing in my opinion because I was hoping to see industry momentum here. But right now, it's a canonical employee is doing this, uh, and it has the advantage of being no. sandboxed. So it should be in theory more secure, except for the fact that X11 is an insecure piece of crap. So it's sandboxed, but X11 sort of kills that for you. But it looks like it's a legit way to install. The snap version right there. No, I mean this. If you got this, maybe Haru Pad, fifteen other applications. Um, 
I, I would do it. I would do yeah. it. I mean, I, I'm just I'm looking down right now. I, Telegram, Slack, Quasal Core, uh, Simple Note, Firefox, Thunderbird, Chrome, Inkscape. Like if I have if I have just you know if I have a handful of packages, I'm good. Like I'm golden. I'm yeah. the Walmart of Linux users, and I that, <laughs> no, that started that's, that's this kind of an install. I'm embracing that. That's near mine. Mine's got a few more. Like Chrome would be another good one to get in. Yeah. There. I, yeah, I would, it's Chrome. I said that. I would yeah. like to see Chrome sandbox, sandbox yeah, that yeah. thing, sandbox all them Google mm-hmm. apps, sandbox all the apps. That's what I say. Uh, JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/lastpicks. It's a community effort to keep that pick site up to date. It's fairly recent, I think. So if you want to get a good idea of some of our past picks, you can find them there. If you'd like to submit some, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. There was something I wanted to mention at the top of the show. But I have completely forgotten what it is. So here's I have a solution for that. I figure once we get into the rest of the show, that's when it'll come up. That's when it'll that's when it'll hit me. So. I don't remember what it is now, but we'll tell you about it later. Little tease. All right, Noah, let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Everybody, once you go to last.ting.com to check them out and support this show, they are mobile that makes sense. No contracts, no early termination fee, and... You only pay for what you use. It's just your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and they add them all up. Whatever buckets you fall into, that's all you got to pay. Like, if you just had, like, uh, an hour's worth of minutes, like 60 minutes, you'll just pay for 60 minutes. If you used 75 minutes, you pay for that. You don't have to pay, like, for 200 minutes or 800 minutes or or whatever. You don't... Do you remember, Noah, back in the day when they had, uh, like, special gimmicks? The telcos had special gimmicks where you had, like, nights and weekends for free. Like, after 7 yeah. o'clock, you could make a call that was, like, at yeah, a different rate. Yeah, and then, then, it, then, then do you remember it evolved into, like, you could pick, like, your five closest friends that you yes. could Yes. They have tried so many gimmicks over the years. And that's, Ting is, like, is the phoenix that has risen from the ashes of all of those bad ideas. And it's just really straightforward. They have the best dashboard in the business. They have the best customer service in the business. Just straight up. So mm-hmm. then they just com- then all they had to do was make it simple. No crazy gimmicks to remember. No special leap plans. No extra little things you have to do with insurances. Just pay for what you use. Go get an unlocked device. Bring it to Ting. They have a GSM and CDMA network, so they have a lot of coverage. In fact, this is one of the things that has been really interesting for me to experiment with is where I'm living at right now. Really, a lot of trees. Really forested. I thought for sure CDMA would have been the way to go. I switched out for a Ting GSM SIM when I went to the 5X. Way mm-hmm. better signal there. And it's nice to have that kind of flexibility without having to change anything up. I just switched out SIMs. Easy, good to go. Really love the Ting service, and you will too. Last.ting.com. Go check them out. They have a bunch of really, really great price devices, starting at feature phones for like 40 bucks, 38 bucks there for that refurbished Hawaii, or the Kurosero Dura XT for $47. And they go up from there. Like they got the Volt 2, 66 bucks, a full fledged Android phone for 66 bucks, no contract. And they work their way up to all of the nice phones out there, all the really nice Cadillacs, like the. Uh, Actually, speaking of this, you could get an S7 for free. Ting is giving away an S7. There's a, a blog about it. There's an unboxing and a giveaway. Usually these go really fast. So if I'm telling you about them now, it probably means the next couple of days. So you can find out more at the Ting blog. Just go to last.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Mobile, it makes sense. Our mobile service provider, and it just is easy and simple. I don't have time to mess with the other guys. Thank you, Ting. Last.ting.com. Okay, Noah. Maybe it's a bit presumptive. But I say it's officially arrived once it's hit Debian. Yeah, there's so many things based off of Debian. So many spins, of course, Ubuntu, 
all of these different derivatives, once it lands in Debian, like for systemd, for example, once systemd hit Debian, the debate was pretty much over. Yeah, you agree, Capiche? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Capiche. So when ZFS lands in Debian, seems like a big Now we deal. can ding the bell. Now we yeah. can check the box. Yeah, ZFS has arrived on the Linux, and uh, this is a big, huge issue. Uh, as you all know, this is something that uh, is still a little legally murky. Uh, the package is called ZFS-Linux, and it's currently available for Debian unstable users. And uh, there is some interesting tidbits over on uh, Peter Reinholston's blog, and I, it's just really nice and straightforward. I liked it a lot. He says... Today, after many years of hard work from many people, ZFS for Linux has finally entered Debian. The packet status can be seen here, and he links to that. And uh, you can grab it here on Git. And he says, it'd be great if you could also help out with the DKMS package. He says, it's an important piece of the ZFS puzzle, the DKMS package, an important piece of the ZFS puzzle. We will be talking about that today, coming up. You know, you remember the our, our DK, DKMS ZFS story mm -hmm. here. Yeah, we're going to share that coming up in the show a little bit. That is a very important piece that uh, Peter points out. Now, I thought this was interesting because uh, here's now the situation. Ubuntu 16.04 has ZFS. Debian, soon, unstable, but right now in unstable, has ZFS. These are some of the bigger contenders up in the cloud. So this is a pretty big milestone and a major marketplace for both Fedora. We've talked a lot about how Red Hat has been retooling not only just Red Hat with their developer subscriptions, but also Fedora with Fedora Server and Fedora Cloud. We have been talking about how they're retooling their distro to be a server or cloud distro to compete with Ubuntu in the cloud. That's a case you right. made recently. Yep. So it seems to be a very important marketplace. So I was, my first thought was when we heard this news was, well, what's OpenSUSE doing? Do you know what OpenSUSE is doing with ZFS? I have no idea. Well, good news. Uh, R. Brown, chairman over there, uh, was uh, in the uh, subreddit. And uh, I'll just summarize, because I'll link to it in the show notes if you guys want. But um, his contention is that right now it's the established policy of the OpenSUSE project not to include it by default just because of the legal murkiness of it. He says that's where it's at right now, even the very maintainer of ZFS for SUSE, because they do have like they do have it as like an experiment. But even that maintainer doesn't feel like he's ready to uh, submit it upstream to the main project because he's unclear. So there's still a lot of questions for SUSE. And he suggests that people try out ButterFS. Uh, ButterFS is uh, is great on SUSE because of ponies and unicorns. They're the only distribution, this is his words, that can boot into a snapshot thanks to how they use ButterFS. True. And no one has made a compelling case to Richard, at least, but who knows who else, for uses of ZFS over ButterFS besides unsubstantiated quasi-religious statements that seem to be full of many times more emotion than any kind of fact. Figures or fundamental technical benefits. So it would seem, for the short term at least, uh, OpenSUSE's position is to pass on ZFS, which I think will probably, probably really going to help their relevance on the server quite a lot. What are your thoughts? Do you think it matters? I think it matters a lot. I think that one of the leading advantages that BSD has had over Linux is uh, ZFS. And so, and you know, the thing is, even as a, even as a person who is comfortable deploying FreeNAS, which is, you know, far and away, one of the best file server, you know, distros out there, 
I have reservations because just last week I was working with a client and they had a problem with their ZFS drive and I can't pull that drive out, plug it into my laptop and copy the data off of, we had to bring in a, a second, you know, loaner server, put that drive in, import the pool, copy all the data off of it. It just, it fundamentally ties my hands with what I can do. And so to get, to have ZFS support on, you know, that on whatever operating system you're using as a daily driver is, you know, to me is going to become in the near future, almost mandatory if I'm going to be able to function, yeah. do my job and yeah. do things that I imagine yeah. tool sets and stuff, I'm going to become accustomed to using. I have, I have two thoughts on it. My first thought is part of me is kind of like good because I would love to see ButterFS get way more exposure, way more people than, than Facebook and others that are using it and really get some solid development. I would like to see ButterFS continue to be a viable alternative. Uh, especially because I like the license better. It works better uh, with, uh, in terms of like installers that are out there. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand why someone at Richard's level, though, is debating the technical merits of it. Not that he's not qualified to do so; he's obviously qualified to do so. Um, it would seem to be completely and totally and utterly irrelevant, completely irrelevant, because the market demands it. That doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying if you want to get more market dominance and relevance, you have to respond to what those people want. Mm-hmm. And if you're not responding to what they want, then they don't choose you. It doesn't matter if ButterFS, in your estimation, is better or not. It matters what the consumers want. And while the people in our chat room might be happy with ButterFS, and I would be happy to see ButterFS get even better and maybe use it myself one day, I, uh, I, I just I think there's a disconnect for someone that's maybe in the chairman level position when that seems to be kind of straightforward. Now. Okay, maybe we disregard what consumers want because maybe the way forward, and I guess I'd, I'd like to hear Richard's thought on, thoughts on this. If he wants to join us on Unplugged, would be maybe the maybe the better solution, maybe the better answer is just keep pushing at ButterFS forever, and eventually it gets there. Um, I'll just end on this thought: uh, the, the big the big anti momentum that ButterFS really has going for it is. In enterprise storage, there is this school of thought that goes, a good file system has never lost your data at any point. There's never a file system that, that you go, well, once it gets to this point, it won't be eating your data. Or once it gets to this point, that RAID hole will be fixed. Or once it gets to this point, that kernel lock issue won't be happening anymore. Um, that's not how it works in the industry. A file system has to be good and reliable always, and you iterate on that using feature sets and, st- and you make things stable. And you, it's an inner. It has to be an enterprise-grade file system from the moment it goes into production. And that's how Sun did it, right? And they did it right, and they 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 had the resources to do that. The issue we have with ButterFS is that it didn't have that internal maturation process at some large multi-billion-dollar corporation that was on the leading edge of technology. ButterFS has been built out in the open in front of everyone, and so all of its flaws have been there for us all to see. And it has, mm-hmm. as such, its reputation has been damaged. And it just simply doesn't matter if ButterFS works great for you, and it works with your package manager, and you've integrated it with Grub. That's that's legitimately good stuff. And it's super sweet that it's there as an option for users. So I'm not downplaying it. At the same time, that doesn't negate the fact that consumers want ZFS or ZFS, and Mm -hmm. the industry has moved that direction. And it has caused massive BSD adoption in the meantime. And And Ubuntu has it now. 
you know, I mean, let's, I mean, this may, might be not a very polite thing to say, but, you know, if you have one person that has a, a professional, very well-rounded and very well-backed professional opinion of something, that's not to say that there aren't hundreds of thousands of other industry professionals that have a different opinion saying that, that, that you know, people like Alan Jude, right, would tell you that ZFS has a number of advantages and, and could probably yeah. make a very solid argument for uh -huh. why ZFS is, I think, is, is legitimately a better, from a technical perspective, a better uh, solution than ButterFS. Oh, sure, yeah. Of course. You could have, you so, could have two different file system geeks argue all day long. Uh, okay, now this is truly my last thought on it. I think it does sort of represent a disconnect that we in the Linux and open source community often have from the market realities, because not only is it... Not only is it ignoring the realities of what consumers want, right or wrong, uh, it's 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 also sort of ignoring the fact that there is a there is a brand aspect to how people pick. When you have to make a decision about something and you are completely sort of new to it, as human beings, something that has a brand associated with it feels safer. So if you're traveling somewhere and you see some weird water versus a smart water bottle or a Fiji water bottle and you're not sure about the quality of the water, you will probably buy the name brand for safety. Uh, same when you're when you're buying. So you, are you following me, Noah? Like consumers yeah, absolutely. and IT, even CTOs often buy into brands. But there's, it there's legitimacy comes down to behind that, too. ButterFS has a bad brand and ZFS has a good brand. There is an enterprise of, of, of businesses literally being built around the ZFS brand name. Entire product lines are being developed around the ZFS brand name. You raise the steam of your operating system when you can associate your brand with another brand that is a shooting, that is a shooting star. That's why Red Hat Enterprise Linux rushed Docker 1.0 into the distribution before it was ready, because Docker was a brand name that made Red Hat Enterprise Linux 7 more valuable. Even though it wasn't ready, they shipped it because it made the product more valuable. Now, ZFS, I think you could argue, is in a way better development state than ButterFS is. ButterFS still calls itself experimental. Issue number one right there. Ain't nobody with billions of dollars worth of data and infrastructure that has irreplaceable data is going to trust an experimental file system. All right, okay, right. I'm done. I'm done. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Now, let's talk about Fedora. <laughs> oh, boy. I read this the headline, and I thought, yes, finally. H.264 support is coming in Fedora Workstation thanks to open H.264 plugin from Cisco. This seems like great news, right, Noah? It finally, mm -hmm. built an H.264 support right into Fedora. Mm -hmm. Except there is some devastating limitations. And it's going to make things even more complicated because instead of just videos not working, different versions of H.264 videos won't work. Uh, it's limited use, and it only supports the baseline profile of H.264. That is old and crappy. And most stuff distributed online, and even like the stuff you can download now from YouTube DL, if, it's high if you use YouTube DL and it's high quality, is all high profile. So you know, you mm -hmm. know about the different encoding profiles for H.264, right, Noah? And mm -hmm. I don't, is there a, like a super quick way to explain what that is if you're not familiar? Uh, it's basically... Uh, do you compromise on quality to get a faster transfer? Yeah, and decoding. It makes, it, it makes yeah. the decoding less complicated for the player. Uh, and so this is a huge issue, because anything that's not baseline won't play. But yet your system will register as having H.264 support. And then the other thing is, I don't believe there is any AAC support. So the majority Man. of professionally shipped MP4 files 
right. aren't going to play. So this is a kind of a drag, really. Now it does mean things like WebRTC will probably work, or Google mm-hmm. Hangouts. I think uses Baseline, but that's kind of it. Like your YouTube's going to be all funky. What's going to happen is YouTube will work for you because it's going to fall back to WebM. A lot of websites right. will fall back to WebM, so some of you won't notice. But it's, I don't know. It's kind of like a halfway thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't really solve the problem for users and seems to make it more complicated, but hopefully they can work with Cisco to get more than baseline support. I I don't know. I would imagine, you know, a lot of that stuff comes back to, you know, it it all comes down to licensing, right? Yeah. And when I've had conversations in the past with people, that's that's the the line that they draw. And so my question has always been, and I've never really gotten a good answer to this, is if the industry standard is based on something that is more difficult to propagate to a wider range of people, and we have alternatives that work, you know, basically just as well. I mean, if you look at Vorbis, it is, it is, it is, uh, you know, or, or maybe Flack is probably a better example. F- you know, Flack does n- as a, as an uncompressed audio capture format does not really lack anything, mm-hmm. you know, as, com- as compared to wave. And yet for whatever reason, every device ships with wave support and doesn't support Flack. And so we, we perpetuate the cycle of wave being the industry standard and Flack just being the just as good industry alternative that is free and could work yeah, just the, the you know, easily, excuses. but we just don't have that. And, and you know, and we, we run into that limitation. I had m- my camera, right? It cuts files after, after uh, you know, 1.7 gigs. And the reason for that is because they have to license the, the, the fat uh, file format thing from Microsoft. And all I can think about is why? Why? Why do we do that? Why do we base yeah. you know industry standards in things that are that that cost companies more think, money and you can distribute to a, a less audience? I think two things. I think uh, industry compatibility is a huge pressure that's sort of murky and nebulous, and so you just kind of fall into everybody mm-hmm. just sort of falls into using fat and then gets sued by Microsoft and then all it has to fall into licensing it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's I think that's a, a huge driver of really sort of why you you sort of see people using sort of st- stuff that there's better versions of. I think the other mm-hmm. thing is like, and if you keep it, your audio one's a great point. I think if you kept it to video, mm-hmm. I, I would I would I would throw a little shade on Google. I think Google I think Google screwed all of us by having uh, VP8 <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, WebM as a whole be such a shit house. Like it mm-hmm. is it's the biggest stinker in video ever. And so, and and the thing was is Google didn't go at it sort of with humble and um, they didn't go at it with with um, uh, sort of like an understanding that they were new at the scene and this was their first attempt. They came at it like, we're super genius, we've cracked high-fidelity video delivery online, and we're giving it away to everybody. It's VP8 WebM, have at it. Booms! And they dropped it, right? And then we got our hands on it, and it turned out it's the slowest thing to encode ever. It takes yeah. the most CPU to decode. It has the largest file sizes, especially stacked up to X264. I mean, it is just a piece of crap. And so VP9 looks a lot better, right? But the issue is they blew it with VP8. They blew it. And now we don't trust them. And so people just stuck to H264. That was our moment, and Google screwed us. That's my <laughs> estimation on it. Uh, all right. Fedora. Oh, how you tease me with your fresh packages, your rawhide your new GNOME packages that I have to wait till your stupid release date to actually use, and by that point, I could have been using it for two months in Arch. Oh, GNOME. Oh, I mean Fedora. United RPMs is here to unite together to save us, Noah. Check this out. It's a new RPM Fusion alternative for Fedora 24 and 25. Uh, RPM Fusion is bad if you like to use unstable releases of Fedora. It can be kind of done, especially if you use the Russian Fedora repository, but it's painful. The United RPM 
repository will provide the most popular multimedia packages for Fedora 24 and Rawhide. Things like VLC, MPV, GNOME MPV, which is, by the way, way better than VLC for me these days. SM, Player, Gideon Live, Handbrake, a few others. Uh, Gideon Live's mentioned twice. And uh, <laughs> the idea here is you'll be able to run yourself a super current version of Fedora and still have all the goodies you like. And it looks like, actually, at the time of doing show prep, they didn't have GPG signatures for some of these things. So that's a big no-no. So bear in mind, at the time of prep, they did not have GPG signatures for their packages. That sucks. And something that you guys who are uh, you know, more cognizant and aware of your, your licenses will not like the fact that they have not separated out packages and non-free packages that's all mixed together. I figure if you're using United RPMs, you probably don't care. But as an example, once you add their repos on Rawhide, I got a command, a DNF command and in the show notes. You run that one command, you install all of the codecs you need. So screw that open H.264 baseline crap. You run this one command, and you get all of them uh, using this United RPMs. Now, I think, Noah, I, the reason why I like to track this kind of stuff is Fedora is sort of like my maybe one day distro that I might jump to. Uh, we'll see. So I think this is United RPMs. I think if they get their crap together, they get their packages signed, uh, make sure they're using HTTPS for everything, then I think mm-hmm. it could be a really good initiative. So if you're a Rawhide user and you've been missing out on the packages that make you feel like an actual human being, uh, now you can get those installed. Do you remember as uh, leading up to our Ubuntu 16.04 review, we were hearing just tons of people were having issues with Intel Skylight graphics? Yes. And we've in seen fact, it. Really, I, that, that has not stopped. Yeah. Like there, I, in fact, I had a very long conversation uh, with someone the, the other night, and we were talking about how some of those things have gotten fixed, but there are still a plague mm. of issues. An inside source, eh, Noah? Well, like this could be a good sign. Intel is restructuring their graphics driver uh, in a big way. Uh, maybe it, this might remind you a little bit of how NVIDIA does it. So in, up until now, in case you weren't aware... The Windows and Linux graphics drivers have been isolated from one another, being developed by different teams at the company. In fact, that's also led to, at times, like right now, the Windows OpenGL driver has a support for OpenGL 4X, when the Linux one is still at uh, 3.3, although that's about to change. Uh, so, kind of makes sense. You know, Windows has got a big market share. But Intel says, after some recent shenanigans and whatnot, they're going to try to combine the divisions. Now, they're not going to just port the Windows driver either. They're going to focus on an OS agnostic driver model moving forward. We have limited details at this point, but Veronix is covering it. Uh, and so he thinks there's going to be more driver abstraction. But the idea is of consolidating the Windows and Linux drivers team is not unusual. And even though to some of us it might sound like a bad idea, NVIDIA arguably has like the best proprietary graphics driver available for Linux. And they use a shared code base for their Windows driver FreeBSD driver, Solaris driver, and Linux driver. AMD's also working on a similar setup. And uh, NVIDIA, you know, has managed, because of that, to deliver really great performance under Linux, oftentimes right on par or exceeding what Windows does with the shared driver model. Uh, also, you got to figure there's just probably a lot more money there. I think this could be a good thing as long as they continue to contribute upstream to the Linux kernel and hmm. they get it right. This could be a good thing, especially if they continue to push this graphics line forward. I don't know, Noah. I'm tepidly excited, and I'm hoping this means we're going to see improvements for future editions. Like, so far, Intel's got it really right, except for they've stumbled recently. And I feel like they're responding to that stumble pretty aggressively. Yeah. Yeah, the, and you know the the thing is, is that's why I haven't. I mean, I, you know, I I haven't gotten all torqued out about it. I, you know, I've 
watched a couple people have some some issues, but that's kind of my feeling on it too. For the for the most part, Intel has been super super friendly to us Linux guys. Like, in fact, I was just working on a project, and in the project, I made the the, the statement that basically, if you go and buy something that has Intel in it, Intel, uh, you know, Intel network drivers or you know, a network card, Intel graphics, Intel sound, all that stuff, basically, it's going to work out of the box. And I've never had that not be true until very recently people have had you know some trouble with skylake so they, they everyone gets a, everyone gets a chance to screw up every once in a while right yeah i hope so otherwise i'm 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 in a whole lot of trouble all right so uh there's a couple of big game announcements one of the top rated stories i think like civ 6 it was announced it's going to be coming to linux later this year and people are super excited about that uh, i'm not a civ user so i might i might not be getting the virgin right i just i just saw that was in the subreddit it was a top story i am excited about this it's already out it's a multi-platform release on day one i love it when they do that and if i if i can ever if i'm ever in a position to vote with my wallet i try to reward those developers and say thank you and I try to grab it under Linux. My key stats, by the way, to make sure the count goes towards Linux, uh, purchase from Steam under Linux, download and play it under Steam under Linux too. Super important. You can't just buy it under Linux. There was some there was some discussion a while back. If anyone in the audience has uh, has documentation that Steam is keeping track of when you purchase games under Linux and when you play them oh, under Linux. They anyone I think, can, I think they've said they have. I don't know why you find it in writing, but yeah, right. If anyone can find some way to prove that, it would be super helpful. Yeah, yeah, because I always try to make sure I purchase it under Linux, and I know plain under Linux is counted. So the game I'm talking about is uh, Stellaris. A nearly endless expanse of stars and planets in which unimaginable wonders are waiting to be discovered. Guarding those wonders is the vast distance between the stars and the threats that can be found near each and every one. So it's like an epic strategy game, uh, and here's what I really liked about it. Now, I just picked it up um, because I, I saw it, I saw it, and I thought, eh, I don't, this, you know, these strategy games where you gotta, like, manage a spreadsheet, and you gotta, like, you know, check all your people. I don't wanna do that. Yeah, but then I read that it was actually pretty easy to follow along and get into, so I went ahead and I, I picked it up, and one of the first things that I noticed about it that really appealed to me, other than the fact that it's freaking gorgeous, and here, I'll start a new game so you can just kind of get an idea of what it's like, uh, and I'll just uh, jump through some of this, is you can start, if you do the United Nations of Earth, or whatever it is, because I, like I just said, I just started, you get to start in the freaking solar system, which... Good day, Madam President. I am Veer, a prototype synthetic intelligence. My job is to offer advice and assistance as we seek our destiny among the stars. So I can look, this is our solar system, which is really fun to just be able to play in here, which makes it way more interesting to me when all of a sudden, like, let's, it's, it's our own planet, so I'll go view, view Jupiter right now. Yeah, look at that, it's crazy gorgeous. You can move around, I mean, it's almost worth just, the, just for the visuals. And it has full guides or no guides. An excellent decision. You will have my full support. And you can play online or offline. It's really pretty. So there you go. I mean, just for the graphics alone, Noah. Look at that. And I love space games under Linux. That's that's something special for me. So there you go, Stellaris, and it's out under it's out right now. And then uh, the new Civ game, getting all the attention, coming out really soon. So check it out. And here's the only downside: it is full price right now at uh, forty bucks. But I bet if you waited, put it on your wish list, I bet you, I bet you that'd come out on sale real quick. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be a Steam sale. Yeah. And then just a heads up, not really going to impact your daily life, but uh, XDG app, that magic we've talked about that promises to bring universal applications to all Linux desktops, 
has been renamed to Flatpak. So XCG app has been renamed to Flatpak, and uh, Flatpak is a clever name for those things from IKEA that make furniture easy to distribute, unpack, and install. There you go. So Flatpak is the new universal application, like sandbox, distribute your apps for every Linux desktop. I don't know about Ubuntu, but every other Linux desktop out there. And not a bad name. Flatpak's not bad. I think it's better than XDG app, which is hard to say. I can say Flatpak, Flatpak, Flatpak. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. And now, a moment I've been waiting for for nearly 10 years. That's actually legitimately true if I would have waited until June to make that statement. That close. Production under Linux. I've been on this show, and I've said I think it's 10 years out. I just couldn't see it. But maybe I just didn't have the right perspective. Because the open source community, when you challenge it, it's amazing what they can get done in a short amount of time. And so we're going to walk through the hardware builds that we have gone with, the software installations we have gone with, and the whole setup overall, like a high-level overview of it, to show you how we are doing live 24-7 media production under Linux. And I think it's a major milestone, and I think it's one that eventually other podcasts that want to do live video and uh, of all kinds, just I think it'll be something that eventually the entire industry, I think it's something that's going to shake up uh, companies like Telestream who make Wirecast and uh, companies who make hardware switchers. I think this is huge. So we'll tell you all about it in just a moment. But first, I want to thank Linux Academy for making this segment possible. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. We got such a great deal for the Unplugged program. We brought it over to last so you can take advantage of it. Linux Academy is a platform built by Linux users, enthusiasts, who wanted to help spread the word about Linux, got together with developers and educators, and then, lo and behold, managed to run a well-built business and created Linux Academy. It's growing all the time with staff added constantly. They now have 2,390 self-paced courses. Scenario-based labs that put you in the middle of real tasks so you get actual hands-on experience. Instructor mentoring is available when you need it, which is such a big deal for this level of courseware. Graded server exercises help those of us who have testing anxiety. That's one of the, I, I mean, that's, I think, one of the biggest differences between Noah and I when it came to IT, too. Noah isn't afraid to pursue the Red Hat certifications and take those courses. He's even tried Linux Academy for that uh, and mm-hmm. get the, take those tests. For me, I, I lock up when it comes time to actually take the tests because it feels more like a memorization game than anything else. That's why the graded server exercises and the mentor help is, is a big win for me. The other thing I like about it is they help put concepts into just hours. It's going to take me six hours to learn Ruby, that kind of stuff. In-depth resources, practice exams, detailed comprehensive notes you can download and the servers come with it. Seven plus distros you choose from, everything automatically adjusts to that distro. The courseware, the virtual servers. Check them out. They also had a recent round of success. It's pretty great. They have a post up on their blog for people who've gotten uh, different uh, coursewares. I, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I actually did my, I actually did Red Hat 7 training exclusively on Linux Academy as opposed to six I did exclusively in, uh, you know, in, in traditional uh, course. So it was kind of fun to do that back to back and kind of see the differences between the two. As far as taking the tests, you know, it's, it's funny because the tests really get me nothing, right? Like, my clients don't care. They they are paying us to to do a given thing. It's not like anyone checks my credentials, and it's not like my boss cares if I have credentials or not. But it, the the Red Hat exam is different from all like the any of like the the networking you know Cisco stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. In that it is all practical. It is not memorization. It's that literally the, twenty six things they want you to do, and then you do them. Uh, <laughs> and either you can do them or you can't. Um, 
but you know, I think there is, I think there is a difference. There is a, there is a difference between that exam and a lot of the others. Yeah. That's more, that does sound more my speed. So thanks to Linux Academy and you guys can support this show and get a great discount, but going to Linux Academy, go there just to try and look too, but sign up if you would, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. All right. So, uh, we want to start off by discussing the hardware we went with. Before, just out of curiosity, would it be would it be useful to start at how this whole thing came to be? Yeah, sure. Ago? That sounds fun. Let's do it. So one year ago, <clears throat> we had the plans to go to mm. Linux Fest, and mm-hmm. shortly before that, I was discussing with a couple of our producers, and I said there was some software packages that were out there specifically for switching video inputs, which is kind of the last piece of the the puzzle. And so if I hacked together that with a couple other pieces of software and a really hacked together w- way, I thought maybe we could do Linux Fest on Linux. And a couple of our producers said, listen, Linux Fest Northwest is, that is, that is, that's our, that's our football game. That is, that's our, that's our season. And so Super Bowl as it was. Yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, that, that is not the time to try new things to play with things. So <laughs> don't don't cloud the waters. Don't 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 screw things up. Let let's just do it like we've always done. We'll just it and, use and the not, Mac. We know the Mac works. Right. It'll be fine. And as it turns out, Chase, you know, is is a true professional. He has all of this stuff already set up and already working and already tested, and he's done it numerous times. So having him fly in is almost as good. In fact, in some ways better than having a production company come in and just run oh, yeah. the, the, oh, yeah. the force. And then we just show up and we're just simply the host and everything else is just kind of taken care of. So that was what we were going to do. And then uh, Chase, uh, you know, got sick and wasn't able to to make it that year. And we get to Wednesday of Linux Fest. Like Linux Fest is coming up in three days. On and Friday. We have no idea what we're going to do. And we don't even have the hardware to take out to Linux Fest. And so we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And I, I am in at night trying to bang away, find some way and that we can get... Just course, to pause Linux you for a sec, I would point out that it, there was even the consideration, maybe we drive down to the Apple store and put a Mac Pro on a credit card. Like that right. was even a possibility. Because there was, li- or not stream, or just not have. Yeah, that was, not, not, that was another possibility. Yep, yep. Because we're running, we're literally running out of ideas. And I, I'm trying to get OBS working because I've to- I'm told that that's, you know, it would be a good software to use, but I can't really get it to build and I can't get it to install. And, and eventually I, I flash the Bonobo and I get it working and I swear it was like a 12-year-old little girl. I go running up the staircase. So first of all, when Chris goes up the staircase into his office, that's his polite way of saying, I don't want to be around other people and I need to get work done, so leave me alone. And unless (laughs) it's earth-shatteringly important, don't bother me. And this is right before a show, and I go running up the stairs with his bonobo going, Chris! (laughs) (laughs) I do it. Boom, 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 boom. Up the stairs, yeah. It's like, whoa, what is going on? Chris, look these. What are you talking about? And I'm like, look, OBS works on Linux. I got it to work. Look, I can switch inputs on these two little webcams that I have hanging out. And I think we can use this. Great. Go get it working on a computer that we can actually take. I'm doing show <laughs> notes. So you're in the middle of TechSnap and, uh, and Q5 and Rakai and I are out in the living room trying to piece together this old computer that you had, uh, trying to make it work, and we can't get it to power up. And Rakai and I literally drove to Best Buy like five times. We bought a new power supply, brought that back, didn't work, took it back, brought a new RAM, brought that back, didn't work, bought a new hard drive. So eventually you come out and I'm like, Chris, listen, I know you don't have any money, and I know there's no way to really do this, but we need to have a new computer if we're going to make this work. And so Chris goes, first he says, I'm really hungry. Which should have been really important to That's note right true. there. That's true. That was it. That, I did say that. And then immediately following that, he goes, "Fine, let's just go. We'll figure. It, we'll figure it out when we get to the store." <laughs> 
So we, so we drive. That means, drive, damn it, I'm going to put this on my credit card. <laughs> yeah, we drive all the way down to Renton. and uh, Which is like an hour and 45 minute drive. And Chris is getting hungrier and hungrier and we get into fries and eventually we pick uh, Alan was great because he was he's like, this is the processor you want and this is the RAM you'll want and this is the best. So he picks all this stuff out and we, we get it all. We take it up to the front and th- we realize the astronomical bill that's coming. So I think it was Alan, you and I all split the yeah. we, we each bought a couple different. Which components. is really nice of you guys. So, well, so Chris says, he, he tells the guy, he goes, and this is what happened. Chris Not goes, just that guy. I told two different representatives at right. Fry's. Back when we pick the parts out and yeah. then they scan them into the little computer and then yeah. you take them up to actually go buy the parts because right. we can't just do that once. Then he, Chris looks and he goes, so we'll just split this between the three of us. And she looks at him and, or no, he looks at Chris and goes, yeah, we can't do this. And here was Chris's response. You're telling me you guys are at Fry's and you can't get that mother piece of to, to split cards between three people, that's what you're telling me right This now? computer store can't split things by three? You can't divide by three at Fry's? <laughs> oh, it, was, it was okay. We adapted and overcame. Alan picked up a couple of components. I picked up a couple of components. You picked up a couple of components. And we take it back. Now, this is Thursday. So th- then we walk out and we realize how hungry Chris really was. So we go get food. And then we get back, get drive the hour and a half back to, uh, back to the studio. And we're on. This is Thursday night, so we're leaving for Linux Fest the next morning. And yeah. we get back at like ten thirty at night. And Chris is like, "Well, I have to go to bed, so you take off, you go home." And Alan and I are up. And you can go back and watch the the episode after Linux Fest last year is because we had been going on you know twenty four, twenty six hours now without sleep, and we're trying to build this computer, and. We get the computer built, but there was this like random assortment of hard drives that we had found from the studio. And we're like literally six or seven of them. Scrapping it we together. Scrapping it here. Moved into the box, right, and just tried to make it work. And of course, we found this bug that apparently in Ubuntu, at least prior to uh, to 14.04, if you have, you cannot boot off of SDAH or whatever. Like you reach a certain level and you can't install the bootloader and then it just doesn't boot. And so... Uh, Alan is trying to troubleshoot Grub. Meanwhile, I'm just like, let's take the case off and just change the cable so it's SDAA and then it'll just work. And so we're we're trying to figure it out. And Eventually, what, is, what Alan does Alan say? What does Alan say to that? Well, he was like, he no, opens Grub, up the term in, and he's like, BST, I could do this in Grub. So, so then, so eventually Alan goes to bed. So now it's just me and it's like three in the morning. And so eventually I'm like, screw it. So I take the side he's, of the case. Off. Alan is literally in the chat room right now, still hating on it. He's still in there hating yeah, on it no, right it was, now. It, listen, in his defense, he's right. He was right. It was a re, it's a really stupid bug to have. And then, and this is on Twitter. You can go find it. Pope, he didn't think it was funny. The rest of us did. We got a error message when we tried to install Ubuntu and it said, could not find path of slash cow which we didn't know what that means or it could not find canon- canonical path slash cow <laughs> which which just seemed like the, so so q5 tweets to popey something about like we just gripped the barn and got the horses and then it worked and he didn't think it was funny we thought it was hilarious. That's pretty good especially for like so, 3 a.m so then like 4 a.m or 5 a.m we finally get the machine working and we plug all the cameras in and it works and I set it aside and like a couple hours later you come in and I'm like, here, look, it works. Now let's take it out. And I think you barely had a chance to even look at it yeah. before we drive it all the way out to yeah. Linux Fest. Which was just the first time I'd ever seen it with an actual HDMI device hooked up or yeah. actually seen it connected to the internet and streaming. Right. <laughs> so and I was speaking I was speaking at a normal volume too, which probably helped. Yeah. We take it all the way out to Linux Fest and ran the entire Linux Fest with and I, I want to say it didn't drop once. Yeah, it was pretty solid. Yeah, it was pretty good. So, and then, and then I took that same rig and I, I, I put it inside a, a like a broadcasting case uh, inside of basically a rack mount, mobile rack mount, and we shipped it all the way to self. And I ran 
all the whole weekend on self with that equipment and no problems at all. So on at Linux, uh, at Linux con this year, Rakai and I tried to take a uh, repurpose one of the old NUCs. And basically what we we're trying to do was see if we could use it to stream the reruns on OBS. Could OBS be reliable enough to continue to stream reruns yeah. constantly? Essentially after- it runs the majority of the live stream because we're live for a few hours a day. And then the, right. then the, that machine takes over and runs the stream the rest of the time. And so then after four or five months, that brings us to, I think, where you were going to start with Linux Fest yeah. this year. <clears throat> yeah. So this year, uh, you know, Noah was coming out and he decided to come out a little early because we had some projects we wanted to work on. And the, and really, the, the meta project is always get more of the production on open source software, less production mm-hmm. on Mac and Wirecast. Uh, and just keep moving that direction as much as possible. That's always been sort of the general goal and momentum of our show. So when this uh, Linux Fest came around, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to solve a few problems that we had had. Uh, in fact, you did a good job of uh, writing the ones down, Noah, that, uh, that uh, we wanted to solve. But <clears throat> essentially, a couple of things that I wanted to solve was I wanted to take some priority and importance away from our Mac and reduce the workload it does. And so now it's just a basic camera switcher right now at this point. It's uh, no longer handling the live streaming. We've moved that over to this OBS machine, uh, which is handling that and also a bunch of other things that we're going to get into a little bit later in the show. So this April was really our opportunity to finally put this machine into production. But Mm -hmm. based on the experience we'd had in the past year, we wanted to do it right. And there's a couple of things in production you can do to make sure you do it right and things actually work. And that is have a backup. And not just like a data backup, but like a physical computer backup. If you build one computer, build two computers, because then you have a backup and you can switch over. And so. Which nobody gives you any credit for the rest of, like, before Linux Fest this year, nobody was really giving a whole lot of credence to, to your absolute insistence to have these two identical machines, right? Yeah. Like, you did it. Like, you told it, Rick, I to build it, so we're building it. But I don't think any of us really bought in the way you bought in to having this dedicated, identical backup. Turned out we needed it right away. Uh, and so with that, we decided the best option would be, because of A, budget reasons, I was paying for this out of my personal funds using Bitcoin, and B, because we wanted to have a in very intimate understanding of the way these computers work because the, of the kind of production work they do. The more we understand the... PCI slot layout and all of the different like little little weird things about which ports are on which USB bus and all of the little tiny things that you need to know to make these machines work right. It just mm-hmm. made a lot of sense for us to build. And so uh, we started out with a, uh, a pretty solid motherboard, uh, something we've used in production in the past, a gigabyte motherboard, a GXX99. And uh, at 250 bucks, we'd hope this would be a great motherboard. And we bought two of them. Like I said, we want to have backups. <clears throat> but that didn't work so well, did it, Noah? The gigabytes? Because it's a piece of junk. Yeah. I mean, uh, people watching, you know, we've, I know a lot of people watching love gigabyte, but we had two dead. You're all wrong. Two dead motherboards in a row. So uh, we ended up opting to actually go with the Asus AX9, uh, AX99As. And uh, at 225 bucks, they're slightly cheaper, and they're just a great motherboard. They're not like the most new thing anymore, but uh, they have uh, 69 reviews on Newegg and uh, Four Eggs. Really nice, tons of good connectivity, 
Um, I mean, any you worked with this board the most. Any thoughts about this motherboard overall? Yeah. So I'll, I'll just this really sums up what I think of that board. When we had when we had the gigabytes, Rakai told me he's like, "You're working with gigabyte. I suggest you assemble the entire thing outside of the case and test everything first. And I laughed at him like I was literally like, "I've never assembled a computer like that. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life." And assemble the whole thing in the case and then plug it in. Guess what? Doesn't work. So then I had to take the whole thing out. When we got to the ASUS boards. Then I then I was in my wheelhouse and we assembled. I, I did the first one outside of the box just to because I, I was, you know, butthurt. But then after that, the next two, I assembled the entire computers, put them into the position where they were actually going to be, where they were actually going to work, and then plug them in and turn them on because I had that much confidence that it was going to work. And guess what? Didn't get bit any of the three times I did that. So, Good. yeah. So we ended up yeah. buying, uh, we'll get to that. We ended up buying three of these in total, uh, pretty much for the same reasons as discussed earlier. Uh, the video graphics card, we went, we needed to have something that was semi powerful that could do uh, accelerated encoding and um, for that uh, we opted to go with the uh, EVGA GeForce GTX 960 uh, $184 card with 2 gigabytes of RAM uh, clocked at uh, 1.127 megahertz and the nice thing about this is it's got 1024 CUDA cores. It's not the biggest thing out there, but dead simple NVIDIA driver setup. OBS works out of the box now with the most recent version, um, which we haven't experimented with much yet. But out of the box now, it supports the uh, NVIDIA accelerated GPU encoding. So we can do local recordings of our streams uh, and uh, and have that be NVIDIA accelerated or uh, GPU accelerated. <clears throat> I don't know. Noah, any thoughts on the uh, graphics card? I love EVGA, and I think they make some of the best graphic cards in the world, and I've never had a problem with one. And so I was glad that that's what you chose to go with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we had done Intel on past machines, and it just wasn't quite enough horsepower. Then for RAM, just really quickly, we went with uh, these G-Skills, uh, 32 gigs of RAM in these machines. And that seems to be sufficient. And no, we don't seem to be having any issues with the amount of RAM. And then, of course, for the central uh, CPU, for the main horsepower, for the for that, we went with the uh, Core i7 5820K Haswell. Six so cores. He did, so so uh, he did not tell me, Rakai did not tell me what processor you picked out or what he picked out, what you both picked out when I got there. And after I installed it and I boot the computer up, he goes, hey, go cat proc CPU info and tell me what you think. I'm like, <laughs> something's not right. Something's not right yeah. here. Where are all these cores here? What, yeah, because with hyper-threading, that no, thing clocks in at 12 right. cores, yeah. uh, which uh, is great for um, any kind of media workload, and that's uh, 389 bucks. Then you throw it in a case, and that's all you really need. You, know, you need a power supply. We mm-hmm. didn't need any optical media. Uh, we did decide to put a lot of storage in one of them, uh, so that mm-hmm. way we could have lots of archives of recordings, which I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. So that was sort of that was sort of nice and that's one off about these builds so one machine has a lot more storage than than the other mm-hmm. so in in total with that specs that i just i just read to you we built the obs streaming rig which is the central new rig we built the video switching um uh, hold on one sec. We built the hair presenter, as we call it, which is this computer, which is what I'm showing you the visuals. And this is our backup computer. So the computer that I use to drive the screen now that's sitting here in front of me um, is a spec for spec duplicate minus the extra storage of mm-hmm. our OBS machine. And if mm-hmm. anything happens to that OBS machine, 
It's just a matter of moving software configs over, and this guy can light up as our physical hardware backup, which is really how you have to have it in production. It also gives us a little bit of flexibility down the road if we want to experiment with new versions or do something crazy, and right. we can switch over to a backup rig in the meantime. So that's the hair presenter. That's where I sit. Um, and then um, upstairs is a hair master, and then we have the video machine. So three rigs, and here's the thing, not Europa. getting to the servers. We're going to talk about the servers in a moment. <clears throat> Here's Europa. The thing. That's the that's the that's the OBS's name. That's Europa. Named by Rick Europa. Europa. Yeah. Which I can never remember how to spell. So the the OBS rig is called Europa. Um, so those of you who are are space nuts know what that's about. And then we'll talk about the servers here in just a second. But before we get to the servers, all of these machines that I just read to you, all of these machines in production are running Antigros, Arch Linux on machines that run twenty four seven doing live streaming. What the hell, Noah? People are probably freaking out right now. Why the hell do we go with well, Antigross? Well, we tried to go with, the, well, I mean, by tried, I mean, like, we briefly talked about it. But so the, the thing is, if, to me, is there's a couple of things. And the first is it, when somebody runs a company, regardless if they're wrong or right, they're right because the <laughs> ship has to fail. Well, the ship has to sail in one direction, and that extends to the distro that you prefer is the distro that should be running on all of those machines, regardless of what I think, because at the end of the day, you have to be able to troubleshoot those shoot those things on a dime, and, and Rakai has to be able to troubleshoot those things on a dime, and so that alone was enough that I think the decision was kind of, kind of made, but... Even if we had wanted to go with Ubuntu, we couldn't. Well, we could have. The choice would have been to go with 1404. So literally as 1604 is being released, we would have installed a two-year-old distro because, because OBS wasn't available. Or we could have installed 1604 and then had no ability to stream because OBS wasn't available. Either way, Ubuntu at that particular time was not really a viable And to option. be clear, at this particular time, we could have installed Ubuntu 1404 and had two-point releases behind of OBS, right. and that would have been the most current version of OBS for Ubuntu. Right. So not only would we have been going with uh, the last release of Ubuntu, we would have been going with a version of OBS that doesn't have the NVIDIA uh, GPU accelerated encoding support that we mm -hmm. need, so that way we can do multiple different recordings of the live stream and not kill our processing overhead while we're also live streaming. So it right. was a, it was a sort of a major limitation. And then on top of that, uh, we also wanted to have features like ZFS support for our large storage. And ZFS, mm -hmm. which was, I think, maybe uh, an iffy call, ZFS on the root file system, too. And the theory here is, very simply, we wanted a production file system that supports snapshots. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, it doesn't hurt that Alan is in our chat room right now, and if we had a question about ZFS, we have one of the predominant experts on it that we could ask. So that's also right. a, a check in right. our positive, our, our plus column. That said, yeah. um, those were some of the reasons we wanted really easy out-of-the-box ZFS support. We wanted uh, current OBS. We needed a current NVIDIA driver. And it just kind of ended up making the most sense. And I, I don't think we've regretted that decision. Now no. we are what? We are eight weeks into production now? I think about that. No, about, about a month. Yeah, four. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Twentieth. I'm trying to remember been. from when we actually got the hardware to when we actually went in production. But yeah, so we're about a month in on all this being in production. So that's something else we should say. <clears throat> what we are giving you right now is, it's actually still been kind of forming. It's, it has not been flawless. In fact, Rikai and Noah were up till like 5 a.m. 
working on last it. night, just yeah. last night, uh, just to make it more awesome, though. Uh, but there have been a few bumps we ran into, and I'll start with one that was directly related to us using Antergros. Um, oh. Antergros. So uh, we have opened up a bug about this. Uh, Rikai has already opened one, so yes, we will file a bug. But it turns out that ZFS breaks on kernel upgrades. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. If you do a kernel update on Anagros and you're using ZFS, it breaks. Uh, it's, it's using DKMS all right to automatically build the kernel module for you. That's no problem. The issue is it's building the kernel module for you after it's already generated the init image. So the image that ends up getting created for your bootloader doesn't have ZFS support. And then that happens. The DKMS module build runs after that's done. So just a, just a simple order process. If you had built your own Archbox, you would probably have put it in the right order, and that wouldn't happen. But uh, the downside of sometimes using a pre-built Arch system, the upside was is graphical installer support for ZFS and also a very quick Mate desktop, which is what we opted to use. So that was one of the problems we had, which did prevent us from booting one time, and Rikai had to boot off of a thumb drive and go in there and, and fix that. Uh, and so the other issue that we ran into... Was more networking related and maybe a symptom of working up until 5 a.m. for like five nights in a row, perhaps. I'm not sure which one is worse. Okay, yeah, I am. I am. One's pretty forgivable, really, uh, but both are overall understandable. The first issue that we had was well, actually, you know what, Noah? Before I tell you what we had, the problem we had, uh, I, I, I will I will give you a visual demonstration of the well, issue. I, you know I know, right? Yeah, I know you know. I'm going to okay, give right. the I'm going to give the audience a visual demonstration of the problem, so they at least understand what you were working with and why maybe it happened. Hold on. And, and I was going to say, and while you're at that, then uh -huh. you can go ahead and pull up Telegram where I have where I have preemptively sent you some pictures of my house, uh -huh. so you. Can what okay. I would have been dealing uh, with. Okay. All right. Sure. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because this is my house. All right. So here you go. This uh, this is a little. Uh, I'll give you a little this tour. Is, this is Chris's cable management. This is the OBS rig and where it was sitting at after many days of of work. On the other side of the camera is where our OBS rig sits, tucked off in the corner, by the sound mix by the sound mixer over there, a dirty paper towel, and a, a, a picture is our new OBS rig. Right now, it's doing reruns. So if I were live at the moment, it would be my face up there. But instead, it's Alan and Chris's face. It's an episode of BSD Now running inside VLC, which gets captured by OBS. And it does a really good job of that, uh, which then gets re-encoded and sent out to our various different streaming destinations. You can see all 12 of our cores there easily handling this workload right now, no problem at all. Of course, we're not doing any local recordings at the moment, but because this guy is just sending up to some droplets, it doesn't have to do a whole bunch of compute, which means it runs steady and reliable, and we can just add more compute power by adding more droplets later on. It's tucked down here underneath the table, just a standard run-of-the-mill build we did next to a standard run-of-the-mill mess of <laughs> wires. In fact, if you weren't careful, you might plug that hub into the wall twice, creating a network loop for your broadcast machine. And then a retired IT professional would have to be the one who found it and fixed it, if you weren't careful. So that is our OBS rig right here, running Linux. So, uh... And, uh the Mate desktop. To be fair, 
I haven't been working in that space in a while, but that was that was a heck of a cable mess. Uh, that I'll, I'll give you that, Noah. I'm looking back and at that. And here's the other thing. I think that's, that I think that network loop has actually been there since August, because when we plugged <laughs> that OBS machine in, I actually didn't do anything with the switch I put in back in August. So I think, and when we put this new one in, we actually just dropped the cable down from the nook and plugged it in. So my guess is that spanning tree was enabled on the switch, and so we didn't actually notice that yeah. the, that there was a, there was a network it's loop. It's just funny. But the second that- problem. I was just gonna say, just I don't funny really that, have an excuse for that, that. That just happened to be affecting. You know, I mean, that's it's ironic that the broadcast machine got plugged into a hub that was in a network loop, and that's like a live twenty four seven. And we're sitting here thinking, what's wrong with Linux? Is there a kernel problem? Is there a the hardware issue? Rakai and I were. I was. I had things in my Amazon cart to ship yeah, you new yeah. network. Yeah, I know. It's like what is causing this problem? problem uh, so that was. And then we solved it, and I'm not joking. Eureka and I pat ourselves on the back. We said, "Good job. Let's go do a show." I sat down, did tech talk. There was no issue. I thought, problem solved. Look at us. We figured it out. Silly Noah was punch drunk, sleepy. And then the machine starts going offline, not once, not twice, but again and again during shows. The chat room's getting frustrated. I'm like, gosh, is it this new Linux rig? Have I, have I finally gotten taken too far of a risk for my business in the name of content? And I realized it. we might have to roll back to the Mac. And I was I was devastated, but you and Rikai, after I left with you know I was upset, and after I left, you guys kind of figured it out. Uh, I don't want to spoil. It. I'll let you uh, explain yeah. what happened. So basically, I, I'm going gonna, I'm to give myself a, a little bit of a life raft here. So I everything was working. I set everything up correctly. I checked everything. I documented everything. I did everything was 100. percent And then we had a machine blow up. And then la- beer gets built on my laptop. And oh, all of a oh, sudden, geez. hold on, hold on, hold on, because it relates. I promise. <laughs> and then. It turns out that we lost some of the footage that we needed from Linux Fest Northwest. That's and true. in 12 hours, I had to get all of these packages, all these computer, these two different computers packed up and UPSed off and then still have enough time to drive all the way back to Bellingham yes. so we could reshoot shoot some footage. So in a hurry, and I so, run up I mean, and that's all understandable. Lots of hard, uh, stressful right. deadlines. And so well, what happened to our most important machine that must never go offline? What was... So I ran upstairs and plugged the printer in and I... Couldn't find it on the network, so I'm like, oh, I better assign a static IP. So I go to uh, I, I go to, to drop in, and it, with, like an idiot, <laughs> instead of logging into the carefully prepared network documentation that I've been keeping since I started trying to do stuff over JB, I just go, we're on seven, I think. <laughs> seven, I hit it, I add it to my laptop. Oh, look, it prints, nothing else broke, must be fine. And then I leave. Turns out the printer and the broadcast machine may have been fighting for the same IP. So in my effort to conserve some IPv4 space, so literally, here's why, here's, why it was, here's why it got us. Because like we never print, and so the printer would just every now and then wake up and do like a, hey, I'm here, a packet, and then go back to sleep. And so it would just happen sporadically, and before we could even troubleshoot it, the problem's resolved because the printer had gone back to sleep. And so it was, out of all of like the the low-layer issues we could troubleshoot, that, that took us back. That was a that, good one. That literally took Rakai constantly running Nmap until he finally caught those uh, those two things, and then he sent it to me. And like he didn't say anything. He just copied, the, the, yep, just copied the Nmap and sent yep. it to me. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that can't be right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not right. Yeah. Why did he change the printer? Why did he? And then, so then we're trying to figure out because you know I printed the thing, and so then he, then he's like, "Well, you must have done it." And I'm like, "I don't remember doing that." And he's like, "Well, I didn't do it." And we both know Chris didn't do it. And I'm like, "Yeah, 
Yeah, that really only leaves one person, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Oops. you heard me tease in that video. Uh, we add compute power to this setup by adding droplets, and I think this might be one of my one of my favorite things about this is. In doing all of this hardware setup, we have reduced the CPU load on the Wirecast machine by like 80% and reduced its importance by 90%. I mean, it is... And so reduced Comcast importance by 80%. That's true. So I'm just saying we are so close. So the only thing Wirecast is right now doing that is not replaceable by OBS at the moment is the type of green screen keying I am doing for this mm -hmm. for this set. Um, some of the camera switching stuff that we're doing, they're working out some of the issues we have with uh, hotkey fixing. Um, there's like, it's so close. So that's the first thing we did. The other thing is the OBS system itself, Europa, has significantly lower CPU usage than a machine that's currently, this machine is currently streaming to Scale Engine. It's where we're also streaming to YouTube. We are streaming to Ustream. We are also streaming to JB Live FM and JB Live AM. And the CPU usage on that machine is probably around 40%. Significant. It's, that's amazing. That is a feat not accomplishable on a Macintosh. Now, part of the reason why we are doing that is because we are sending one master stream up to a series of droplets that we call SATCOM 1 and SATCOM 2, and for there was a brief SATCOM 3. These droplets are streaming out to the endpoint destinations, so we are able to send one high-quality signal to a droplet, which then sits there and uses its CPU and its fantastic bandwidth to stream out to all the different places. Scale Engine is our primary and main destination. That feeds all of the apps. That feeds everybody's VLC players, uh, Kodi players, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the other SATCOM servers go out to the other destinations. And I'll let you take it over from here. So tell us about these SATCOM boxes, what they run, and how, how all that is interrelated. So from OBS, <clears throat> OBS, like you said, is sending one high quality stream to SATCOM one, and SATCOM one is kind of our is kind of our uh, load balancer, if you will. And so basically, it ingests that stream from OBS and then sends it out to uh, it sends it out to, like you said, Scale Engine Ustream, but it also sends it out to SATCOM two, uh, and then uh, and it's also sending to Airtime. So that's what's generating the. Uh, jblive.fm, jblive.am. Now, now, once SATCOM2 picks up that stream, it is just sending it straight to YouTube and then also to uh, a, super uh, a super secret special YouTube that you will only get access to, I believe, if you're a patron, right? Yeah. And so, uh, well, all right. So, yeah, this is, this is something that we're able to do now is because we can stream to multiple places over the weekend, we created a new YouTube channel where we are going to stream our live shows to and then save them. So on our main Jupiter Broadcasting YouTube channel, we have been broadcasting live for about a week or two now. We're live there right now. Uh, what we're going, but we don't save or publish those live streams on our YouTube channel. They constantly get content ID'd, so they would put our main account at risk uh, because we do all kinds of shenanigans on the live stream uh, that YouTube hates, apparently. Um, they also would just massively litter our YouTube channel, just full of like, because internally we still see them and it's a mess. And uh, it would just blast our YouTube channel with a bunch of live streams of stuff that doesn't really have a clear end or beginning and isn't properly structured. It's more off the cuff and maybe sometimes a little blue collared. Uh, so what we have set up is a dedicated Patreon YouTube channel. And during the week, we'll be posting 
the entire live stream of these shows. And Lass, I think, is the best example of a show that is is an entirely different show when you watch it live. Not only right. do, do we have more discussions about what we talked about, but there's just one-off stories, there's inappropriate things, there's all kinds of stuff that just don't go in the main show because it would be three hours long because the live stream's like three, four hours long sometimes or two hours mm-hmm. if we're to be doing super crazy tight. So that's going to get published. So if you watch this and you've been like, gosh, I wish I could make it to the live stream, but it's just not at the right time, if you're a patron at patreon.com slash today, I'm going to now be able to post these live streams for you. Those of you who have watched for a while, you know that's something I have wanted to do for so long. Because there's often great content we talk about. Like, mm-hmm. Noah, I'm going to ask Rita, just as an example, I'm going to ask Rikai to put the K3B discussion we had in the pre-show mm-hmm. in the outtakes, just so you guys get an example of some of the content. We, we just, just another example. The idea of a second YouTube channel may have come up on the live stream last week by some Indian kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's, yeah. So, what, and we're we're going to try to do this for a bunch of our shows and see how the patrons like it. Um, and it's something that we just didn't have the resources for that makes our Patreon page more valuable. It gives people that are really invested in our show a chance to see stuff they couldn't watch before. And it makes it like maybe another incentive for people to want to support us on Patreon. So I, I'm super excited there, about that. But there's there's a problem with this, right? And the problem is how are you going to stop? How does YouTube know to stop the actual live stream part from the 24-7 reruns that right, are going because our stream is always going. Right. If you go to jblive.tv, we're always live on Scale Engine. Mm-hmm. So how does it know, Noah? So we have to have a way to start and stop the streaming service on SATCOM 2. Well, one way we could do that is just shell into it and, and start and stop the service, right? But that's boring and that's not cool. And frankly, it doesn't make for you know any good show content. So the cooler way to do it is to get a hold of uh, people in your chat room and have them modify JBot to use the DigitalOcean API to turn on and off SATCOM 2. So basically, when you execute uh, your super secret special command in the chat room, Yep. It it talks through the API to DigitalOcean, powers yep. SATCOM 2 up, yep. SATCOM 2 becomes live, pulls in the feed from SATCOM 1, and then publishes straight to YouTube, Where it, so we have that nice cut of just mm-hmm. the live show. Then mm-hmm. when you're done, you stop the show, and uh, SATCOM 2 comes down, and now SATCOM 1 is just streaming all of the live stuff, but we're not going live to YouTube. Additionally, that means that people are only going to get those notifications in their phone if they're subscribed when there's actually a live show happening. That's the so, big thing is when, on YouTube. Is essentially being automated. On YouTube, you get a push notification if you subscribe to us that we're live, and we don't want to spam you. We we want you to know if you get that push, we really are live. So the ability to turn that broadcast on and off is cool. But what blows my freaking face off is the fact that we are literally starting and stopping our live broadcast, which is Linux-powered, by using a bot in IRC. And yeah. and this is if you follow Coda Radio right now, there's a ton of hype around bots and about all these new things that bots can do. And it's like this is what bots can do. This is awesome. Right. And so yeah, we we use that API to turn these systems on and off, so that way we manage which endpoints we want to be at. And it is really slick. So uh, local recordings now possible using accelerated uh, encoding, which we're still experimenting with. Uh, exclusive live streams for patrons, which we just didn't have the resources before. Uh, and this is a way we can do it that just doesn't, you know, it's using automated systems that the only manual process is the point where I'm going to paste post it to the Patreon, which we're going to hopefully have a way to work around that too. 
Um, so it's pretty the, nice. The last thing, the last thing too, I just I don't want to forget about this is so we're on location the next day doing uh, doing Linux Fest, which by the way totally got saved by Chris's. Uh, oh, the backup it, for this total- year. We should some we should mention we didn't really right. we didn't tell that part of the story. That rig that we built for last year's Linux Fest and worked great at other events just wasn't up to snuff for Linux Fest this year. And so we we ended up immediately like within three days of having built this second backup computer. Needed the backup computer. John Kessler, part of our crew at Linux Fest, drove down Saturday back to the studio and then brought it back up to Bellingham. So that way we had a rig for Sunday to do the show. And went and got us a different monitor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And so we were still able to do this year's Linux Fest using Linux as well, which was the prototype setup for some of this. But the real, I think the real sweet sauce is the way we're using the remote VPSs. In our case, they're droplets and they work great for this. but that the way that allow I think what's really key for making machines reliable is keeping their CPU usage load down and, and when, keeping their bandwidth on something reliable. Yeah, yeah. Because realistically, if we're streaming to three or four different destinations from within the studio, and I'm on Comcast, well, I could I there's I'm almost guaranteed at some point to have a bad route or to have Comcast right. blip and take out all of the streams. This is much more tolerant. It's not perfect, yeah. but it's more tolerant. Well, but, uh, so I guess where I was going was, so on Sunday, we go to actually do the stream, and we're just constantly dropping off. off uh, the stream is constantly dropping. Can't figure out why. Eventually, it turns out it's a Comcast issue, because what we're doing is we're streaming from Linux Fest Northwest back into the studio, and then that's taking up and going through our traditional route to all of our other stuff. And so basically, what we did was we just kind of broke that tie in between OBS and SATCOM 1 and tied into that from our uh, remote location, and now we've totally bypassed Comcast and the studio altogether. And we were able to do that. In fact, if I remember right, I think at that point, we actually spun up a droplet on the air to facilitate that connection. Yeah, we did. I remember. Yeah. And Alan, so, Alan also the, points out for, for production machines, clean power. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is have. this is and I and the last thing, which is just not a big deal, but it's a personal huge win for me because I just hated it. Wirecast, each individual show we do on the network has its own production profile. And the way you switch profiles is you close the application and you reopen the application and load the new profile. But to do that, you have to stop streaming and start streaming. And because it's such a piece of crap, the, the Mac, it's old Mavericks or whatever it is, I can't remember. You know, I, got, I reboot it once a day too, because otherwise it falls apart. And, and, it, and to be fair, in the past, it was running at like max load all the time. Uh, and that just looks amateurish to have to take your live stream down before your show starts. People start showing up. They get tuned in on their Cody box. They're watching on their TV. And all of a sudden, the stream goes out because I'm rebooting. And every single time in the chat room, people will jump in. Where's the stream? Why is the stream down? Did the stream just go down? Because people always inevitably are showing up just as I would take the stream down for reboot. And anybody in the chat room knows that's true. Uh, and now, because we have detached the streaming machine from the recording and switching machine, I can do anything I want to any of the production systems in here. I can do sound checks. I can even record a show offline now, which I couldn't do before. I, mm-hmm. I can I can reload profiles. I can turn that Mac off. I can I can do any I can just I can do a Skype call with Noah and it, and none of it goes on the stream until I tell it to. And I can switch Did over you, without having to reboot the stream on the OBS machine. It's so nice. You should describe your reaction the next morning after we, the first night that we switched everything over and Chris came uh, came in for uh, the next day. He walked in and just the sheer look 
of panic on his face when he because there's a screen that's attached to the Mac. And it, for the last 10 years, when he walks in, there better be something on that screen or he is better get into emergency mode because something bad has just happened. And I don't remember, I we didn't do anything with it. And it went to sleep because it was yeah, the it screen turned off because it's like, what's going on? Why is it off? Why is it off? Are we down? <laughs> he walks in, he's like, what's going on? Why is the stream down? What's, oh, 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 it's over there now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess one other really nice, nice Really nice thing is now the uh, JB Live FM and AM audio streams will be live twenty four seven with the same content that's on the video stream. Oh yeah, so that so that's happening. Originally that was happening. I, I said that back in the DigitalOcean sh- segment. So we are trying different pieces of software and we're trying different configs on different pieces. That's why of software. I wasn't sure about Liquid Soap if that's open source or not. I don't know about Liquid Soap. Oh yeah, I I think it is. I don't know. Anyway, it works. So uh, basically, we installed. Uh, I had five different droplets up with with a couple different we tried dark ice and we tried uh we tried using actual ffmpeg and so basically what we're using now is a, a software called uh liquid soap and liquid soap basically uses calls ffmpeg pulls in the rtmp stream turns it into an mp3 uh stream and then sends that up to airtime which is then getting you know transcoded into the the the, uh, the high bit rate and the low bit rate for fm and, and am but uh it, yeah liquid soap and that uh, up until about three in the morning last night it was running on its own server and then uh we just we kind of put that on satcom one so now you've just got those two servers to deal with um and we have magic configs nice uh let's see here i'm looking i'm it's all it is up on github i'm looking for the license file i don't see license but uh it's probably on here somewhere we'll have it linked in the show here we go license it is uh gpl so there you go we are top to bottom the entire stack i think the entire stack is gpl even i don't know about ffmpeg's license but FFmpeg might be a BSD or, or uh, something else, but pretty much the whole damn stack is GPL'd. It's not just Linux and open source. It's almost the whole damn thing is GPL. That is freaking amazing. That is wow. And I just and then on the same same week that I I think I'm switching over to KDN Live, pfft, my brain is blown. I don't I don't even know what to make of all of this. It's really exciting. Uh, and so it, the thing that it's set for us now is anytime we're going on location and doing an event or need something that manages camera inputs, we just go Linux and OBS. The Mac isn't even a consideration anymore. Uh, that's which, is, which is interesting, which is interesting because that actually, it, it opens up a whole new world of flexibility. We went to System76 and we knew we were going to do a live show from there. And quite honestly, and I mean this without sincerity, we really didn't plan it. I mean, we knew that we wanted to do it, but we just figured out, we'd figured, we'd just figured out when we got there. Um, and that's really where the power of Linux comes in, right? Because we just, we took a Linux box and said, as long as we have access to a powerful Linux box, we know we'll be able to get up on the live stream. And so we, uh, we took the system 76 provided us with the box. Actually, a guy that works from System76 provided us with his personal box, and we installed OBS, got everything working, and then uh, and started streaming yeah. right out to the internet. Yeah, that that is a really good point. Is it it makes the it makes it uh, the availability a repo away. Now the version might be not be the right version for you, but the fact that it's not behind a paywall, uh, like a like a Telestream, you know, they're a fine company, but Wirecast is a five hundred dollar product, and for the one I need, it's a thousand dollars to begin with for thousand dollars for each major version, and I have to log into their website to download it. I have to enter in a serial li- serial number, which has to activate against their server. And it's proprietary and only runs on the Mac. And so we, it's not something like Noah said. You couldn't just go set up a powerful computer and start streaming. It's mm-hmm. super cool. And, of course, we should mention we've, we've done an interview with the OBS, 
or OBS folks in the past, and it's available for other platforms as well. It's a bunch of these different pieces coming together. On the back end, on the SATCOM end, it's a lot of FFmpeg and command line stuff. The OBS doesn't have anything to do with it. And on the audio side, it's liquid soap. And then on the final audio uh, endpoint, we mm -hmm. are using uh, Airstream. Which is airtime. airtime, thank you. Airstream's a trailer. Airtime, which is provided by the Airtime folks. It's a hosted instance that they provide for us. And it is if you want to get into internet radio or you want to have a live stream or you want to have an automated system, mind blowingly good. Also open source, mm -hmm. but they have a pay version and a hosted version. That's where SATCOM is sending the audio stream to. So if you want and, to get into and audio streaming. And Airtime underneath, just like OBS is using FFmpeg underneath, Airtime underneath is uh, using IceCast. Yes. Yeah, this is a bunch of – we're standing on the shoulder of a lot of open source giants, and it's super exciting. Now that we are in, in June entering the 10th year of the Linux Action Show, it's taken a long way to get here. And in fact, about a year ago, I was ready to drop video altogether because I just wasn't sure it was ever going to be possible. We're still not 100% there, but we're way closer than I thought we would be a year ago. It's unbelievable. You know, and this is this is kind of a minor thing, but it's worth mentioning is, you know, the hardest part about all this is trying a thousand things that didn't work. So you find the one thing that did work. Now that I know what software to use and how to set up the config files and stuff like that, I am 100 percent confident we could recreate this entire setup from scratch in about five hours. Yeah, like it would not take that long to set. And the, the hardest part about that, the majority of the time would be installing operating systems. Actually, installing the software would be like the last 30 minutes. That's awesome. So we got links to a lot of the stuff we talked about if you're curious about it. And uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, at least the walkthrough of it, even if you're not a production person. I think it's still a pretty big landmark for Linux. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com for feedback. All right, Noah, let's go do some of that feedback. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But we do have some feedback to go through and maybe a little discussion and some other goodies. But I do want to thank our segment sponsor first, and that is System76, creators of machines designed, built, born to run Linux. We checked out the Oryx Pro last week, and uh, it's a pretty solid-looking laptop. How, are you still liking it, Noah? Are you still enjoying Very it? Very much so. Like I said, you, the, the, the System76, you can only truly appreciate System76 if you run it back-to-back -back with something that isn't System76, and then it really, then, then they shine <laughs> out a little bit That is true. Or you go through the massive hassle of building yourself and have to return parts after parts after parts and want to murder Newegg when they won't accept returns. It's an awful process. And man, the customer service, we don't talk about that very much, but they seriously support these machines. They build great desktops and laptops. Check them out at system76.com. Tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. Get yourself something nice. You get to stop fighting with your hardware and just play with Linux. You want a nuke and pave and just install and not worry about it? It's going to work. You want something that's going to be supported for a while? It's going to work. You want to buy local in your local Linux ecosystem? That's System76. System76.com. Okay, so Stephen writes in with our first email. It's about the Pyra. Is that how, you, is that how we decided to say it? Lots of attention mm -hmm. here. Pyra is actually doing really well. I think it's almost near funded. Hey, guys, I noticed you guys were into the Pyra, and Noah was just a little iffy on being... ARM-based. There is a Chinese company called GPD that is making an Intel Atom-based handheld PC, and there's even an Indiegogo project. So he links that to you. What do you think, Noah? Did you take a look at it? I think that 
I've seen a lot of, yeah, I have take, I did take a look at it and there's a lot of other projects like that, but the problem I have is they don't have the backing and they don't have the longevity, tra- long-term track record that Pyra has. And so, yes, this looks great. And yeah, it's x86. And yeah, if it, be, if it, I tell you what, in seven years, if this company is still around, they're still making products, I'll definitely give them a shot, but I so. or definitely consider it more. But the thing that appeals to me about Pyra is when they first came out, I thought, I thought for sure it was going to be another one of those here today, gone tomorrow companies. And they've actually proved to have a, a long track record with some real longevity. So if other companies do that, then maybe I'll buy into them. But right now, I'm kind of sold on the Pyra. Yeah. The other thing about the Pyra, and uh, this is give or take it, but for me, it makes a difference that the OEM is building with Linux in mind, not just because it's going to be more and yeah. more Linux compatible or whatever. I'm sure the other one is too. Uh, but the whole community is oriented towards Linux. When they're generating yep. images, they're going to be Linux images. When the questions are there, they're asking Linux questions. You're not putting Linux on a, on a Windows 10 device. So right, yeah, it comes with Debian. Yeah. yeah. So our second email comes in from uh, Distroto, and he says refusing to use closed source. He says, "Hi guys, longtime listener. I really appreciate the switch off that Noah and Emma have been having. I am an open source advocate with much less success than you guys. So I love to hear people's strategies for getting people to do the right thing. I've been a Linux. I've been using Linux for close to 20 years now, and I've been toying with Stallman-esque idea uh, <laughs> I recently thought of, but I have never really heard of it before." Closed source software cannot give public security audits, so how can you trust it? If I'm using somebody else's Mac, for example, I don't know if I'm typing a safe password anywhere or even if SSL is safe in any browser. So I will not use non-free software as a matter of security. This will, of course, get me in trouble at work because all the conference rooms use Windows. Hee hee. Um, so happy so I don't know. So I don't know if you have a response to this, Chris. I mean, my answer is is quite simple. I just made the decision seven, eight, nine years ago that I was done being beholden to Windows. I was done being beholden to Mac. I was done y- using the these companies and fighting these companies. And we're going to get into this a little bit deeper in a little bit. But I was done using companies that want to put me in jail for trying their software before I'm willing to fork out some money to buy it uh, because you know they call that pirating. And so I, I, I just reached a point where I said, if I am done using Windows and if I can't do it on Linux, then I just won't do it. And and if if the closest I've I've come to compromising to that is I will install Windows in a VM and use it for those like one-off utilities for programming universal remotes and you know controllers and stuff like that. And past that, I will not install Windows on my computer at all. Now that said. I don't have an aversion to using other people. If, if I sit down at somebody else's computer and they have Windows, I don't make a big deal out of it. I, if you want to go that route, you can. Honestly, I doubt you're going to get anyone to really hmm. start hmm. thinking about yeah. open source security by, by so saying, I'm not going to log into the conference. His, he's drawing a line. He says here, if it's not open source, uh, he's yeah. not using it because of security reasons. And I think that's particularly interesting. I'll tell you where I draw the line. Uh, for me, uh, the core foundational technologies, in my estimation, have to be open source for you to have any actual long-term visibility over the direction of that thing you are dependent on. So, let me -hmm. me break that down a little bit. What I'm actually saying is, if if your whiz-bang web app uh, uses Linux as the server and Nginx as the web server, it is, and maybe let's say PHP as your language. It is very beneficial for you, as those being your foundational technologies, to know what's coming down the pipe, to know what changes they're making, to have that development out in the open. That's obvious. That's why Apple open source Swift, even. Even Apple gets it. I think where it makes even a 
bigger difference is if you're a large enterprise, you're a large business, and your business process depends on this piece of open source code, it's not ideal, it's not a great solution, but you always have that emergency eject of forking. And if the project goes off in a direction that yeah. alters your business, you can fork and you can hire a co- an open source developer to come in mm-hmm. and maintain that code for you and keep it going. It's not a great option, but it gives you flexibility. If Microsoft or Adobe or Apple discontinues a product line or Google, you're just hosed. You're done. If mm-hmm. if Google Wave or Google Reader had been open source from the beginning, we wouldn't have they wouldn't be gone today they would still be around the community would have maintained them uh, mm-hmm. if if, if uh, etzel hadn't open sourced the nautilus file manager 10 years ago when they collapsed we wouldn't have nautilus today nautilus was right. originally created by a software company that open sourced the file manager they made they thought was a better file manager for linux and then they collapsed as a company but because the code was open source we still use it today I'm sure it's heavily changed, but you get my point. If it's closed source software, you don't have visibility and you don't have ultimate control over it. That's where I draw the line. Now, Mm -hmm. if I want to run something on top of that, like Steam or Netflix, I feel like those are replaceable. If Netflix went away tomorrow, I could go on. So things that are less critical, I don't get quite as worked up about it. I I kind of, I prefer, I definitely, so then I have a, then I have like a list. Does it run on Linux? Is it within reason of cost? Uh, and is it easy enough for me to set up when I reload my machines? And these are kind of like some of the basics. And if it meets a lot of those criteria, I'll go with it. The first criteria, I like to see it meet those, that it's free and open source. And we try always, like today's episode is an obvious example of that, we always try to go that direction completely. But if I can't, but that's I, where I, I start compromising. If I'm, not, if I'm not missing it, I think his email is basically asking, uh, is, is it worth doing this from the perspective of trying to enlighten other people? And I don't know that that would be an effective method. I don't think anyone is going to sit in a conference room and be enlightened or, or, or turned on to open source and open source security measures because you wouldn't log into the computer because the conference room computer is running Windows, right? I don't know that that's an effective method, and I guess that's what I was getting at. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing what he's asking. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I think... Uh I think you have to under you have to meet people at their level the way the level they're right. thinking about this stuff and make it an attractive boat to come into not a not a Paranoia. that's Joe and he doesn't want to come into the boat because uh, because Joe's a stick in the mud and is off on his own little island it has to be the Linux is the party boat and every we have to make Linux you know appealing and that's why people want to come over not you know I, just a, a different approach I'm not saying it couldn't work I'm just saying it's not it's not that is definitely not my approach. Um, leave it at that. So Charlie B writes in with a follow-up to your review last week. Great Oryx review, but sorry, guys. As much as I love System76, two hours of battery life ain't gonna cut it. It's pretty dismal for a laptop these days. He says anything under four to five hours is a deal breaker in his use case. Of course, everybody has different needs. My mobile rig is a Toshiba 2 Chromebook with a flashed Gallium OS. Superb battery life at 10 hours. But I'm obviously not using for video editing, etc. Since I'm on the road all day, battery life is my top priority. Why did Noah consider an XPS 15 instead? Then you could 
backpack that little guy, and he would theoretically get better battery life. Noah, what were you thinking? And by the way, is it really two hours, or is it more? I mean, you've had another it, week to it test might with be, it. It might, be, it might be more for what I was using it for. And again, I don't know how people get the, the measurement of battery life that they get. I get measurement of, I start a watch, I start working on the computer. When I get the notification that I have to plug my power cord in, that to me is the end of the battery life. And I don't know how, like, if some people are getting more, some people are getting more, but the reality is, I think that you're that is not what the Oryx is targeted for. I have an on-the-go laptop. I you know I've, I have my ThinkPad, which I really like for taking everywhere, going everywhere, that kind of thing, and perhaps soon to be replaced by the Pirate. But the Oryx is what I could. I look at it as my desktop that I can take with me when I'm going away for two weeks, and I can have a desktop that is that fits inside of my suitcase. That's what I look at the Oryx I, for. And for that, I think that yes. two hours or three hours or four hours is like super generous. I have two. I have two thoughts about that. My first thought is that is the right mindset for that kind of computer as a, as a former Bonobo owner. The second thought I have is I think the real issue here is you don't you don't care because you're going from plug to plug. I bet yeah. if you tested it, I bet I would be surprised because I think I recall getting four hours on my Bonobo when the battery was new. So mm-hmm. and I think that's a nicer rig with a lower power processor. I bet I bet if you turn down your screen brightness to seventy five percent. And yeah, the, yeah, I had it cranked, and I was also editing video. So I mean, but I'm no, I bet, I bet, I, I bet if you, you know, you just do a few of those things. I bet you could get up there. But if for you, it's sort of irrelevant. And I'd say that's the right mindset for that kind of laptop, regardless. And, and let's not let's not gloss over. System seventy six makes laptops for you. They have a laptop that is a fourteen inch form factor yeah. that has super great battery life. The yeah. Galago, which by the way, which by the way, you want to talk about System seventy six supporting their product. The Galago, which I bought. F- four years ago, three years ago, something like that, they are shipping me a new battery for it because the battery has reached the end of its of its life. Now, that thing is like six, seven hours. So they make they make other laptops. It's just that's not what the Oryx is geared towards, I don't think. Yeah. Now, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about in the feedback segment is I had an experience this week that really kind of ruffled my feathers. And so, you know, we we're talking about people and, and their use of proprietary software and stuff. And I think a lot of us started on proprietary software and then switched uh, to open source. But at that time when you're using proprietary software, I think a lot of us may or may not have torrented some stuff to get the you know the software working or try it maybe before you actually bought it, that kind of thing. And I never hear I never hear complaining from Windows users or proprietary software users that talk about how they had to torrent uh, you know, Adobe Photoshop to get it to work. Nobody seems to ever complain about that. Parted Magic used to be free. You could go download it for free and it was open source and that was great. And then they decided to charge $49 for, mind you, when Norton made Partition Magic, it was a couple hundred they're charging $50 for their seriously enterprise-grade tool that has saved my bacon numerous times and did so again this week. And when they first released it and said that they were going to start charging $50 for a download, I, not only did I not complain, I was happy to pay to download the software, but I also kind of got a little torqued off at people who were complaining about the fact they had to pay 50 bucks. I'm infuriated to find out that those people have been so vocal and so loud and so whiny that now they offer a one-time download version for you for $9. So all of you cheap, whiny, complaining people that are too lazy to go down, to go torrent, uh, uh, you know, a part of magic when you don't have any problem doing that to a proprietary software. So not only are you too cheap to support a company that is making uh, open source quality software, but 
you're, you, you add laziness and whininess on top of that, they have a version for you. So now you can pay $9 <laughs> and you download it one time or you pay 50 bucks and you can download it for one year. You know, I, not being a cheap whiny brat, I'm glad to pay the 50 bucks to have there, there access is to that something to it. If you, if you switch to the Mac and you go set up a Mac, everything costs money on the Mac. Everything. You're, it's the stuff that is like a GNOME extension that I just install for free, like uh, CPU monitors and stuff like that, costs like nine. 15 something bucks on the Mac. Like mm-hmm. everything costs. Um, Twitter clients, Twitter clients, Twitter clients cost money on the Mac. Everything mm-hmm. costs money on the Mac. Uh, Mac users don't care. They just don't care. Um, it is a different world. Uh, I, I, you know, I just did a little Google search for entitlement in open source community. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and of course, like three or four blogs just pop up right away. I think, I think there is something to it. You remember the reaction that, uh, the community had when both Ubuntu and elementary OS added dollar amount next to their download buttons. Right. It was a big controversy, right? Um, I think that's pathetic. I think it's pathetic that people complain about it. I think it. I think it's. I think it's pathetic that people won't pay for it. I think it's more pathetic that people uh, won't be, are too lazy to go find a download source like they would for proprietary software. And I think it's insult to injury that they get to complain about it on top of that. I just nothing. I just ugh, it irritates me in a way that I haven't been irritated in a long time. I, I understand. Uh, I think it's nuanced. I think you're right. In a lot of cases, it's an entitlement thing. I think in other cases, it is. People are it's it's people trying to say you're doing it wrong. You're asking for funding wrong. You're you're approaching us the wrong way. You're trying to raise money the wrong way. You're hey, you're doing it wrong, and that's why we're complaining. And I think sometimes that is a valid criticism. Like uh, you have to be as somebody who's distributing something, you have to be able to listen to that. Uh, so there is that version of it where that's legitimately the community saying, you're not asking for this in the right way. And then but there I, is the entitlement factor where everything's supposed to be free. And I, it's hard to right. tell which one it is. Well, to me, it's pretty simple. They're asking to be paid for a quality product that they produced. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And if you think there's something wrong with that, you're cheap and wrong because there's nothing wrong with that. And that's that's all I have to there say. There you about go. That. That's that's how Kernel Linux feels about that. If you feel differently, at Kernel Linux, that's the Twitter handle at Kernel Linux. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. L- l- yeah, let's go ahead. Let's have a conversation on Twitter. That really goes well for people. Go ahead, challenge <laughs> me on it. Or you can tweet me at Chris L A S. You can hang out in our chat room, JBLive.tv, on a Sunday. What are you? What's that face? What's that face? What's that face? Noah? That's the that's the what is on the screen. I can't really see because I have bad eyesight. <laughs> you were squinting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's I'd love to have more of that. I'd love to have I think we should I think you and I should chat about this. Mm-hmm. This might be a really good unplugged topic because you can get the virtual lug going in there. You're always busy yeah. on Tuesdays, but if you ever had a time to come in I on time. I make time. That'd be good. I think that'd be a good topic. Uh so uh I should mention Linux Unplugged. We uh we were talking there's a couple things we mentioned earlier in the show that we were talking about that the chat room had no idea. A lot of times we'll, we'll make references or there's inside jokes that if you're listening to Linux Unplugged, uh, you're going to get a lot more stuff. I mean, it's a mm. great show that's growing on like crazy on its own. I don't really need to plug it here, but um, it's a totally different thing. It's a totally different experience. And let's be honest, there's just not enough Linux podcasts. There's some great ones out there now, but there's just not enough. So there's not. There, I, as somebody who makes a couple of them. I run out of Linux podcasts like by Tuesday, and I'm like, "Well, okay, so what? Now I just got to wait another week before what? What's up?" And part of the problem is I make two of the big ones, so 
There's, there's, I don't really love listening to my own stuff. So, uh, Linux Unplugged came out sort of out of this whole, I would like another show to listen to. And if I could listen to it, what would I like it to be? Something unscripted, unplugged, just a virtual lug that has a moderator that keeps things flowing. But we get into some great conversations. A lot of Ubuntu 16.04 follow-up has been done in there, too. And, and uh, you, have, you have the voice of a lot of really prominent people in the community, not just two guys with an opinion, right? The, the movers yeah. and shakers, the people that are actually doing the stuff. Oh, don't give them a big head. Don't give them a big head. Then they might stop showing up. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But it is a lot of fun. So we do that on Tuesdays. You can find out at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Um, That's where you can find all of the lifetimes, including last, which is a heck of a show. Heck of a show to come see live. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com is where you go to submit content, news stories, open source projects you want us to check out, and your feedback. Go there if you want to comment on me burping on Mike, all that kind of stuff, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. All right, Noah, is there anything else we need to plug? Any any other things coming, going on, that uh, any other shenanigans we need to talk about? I can't think of any. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think we're good. I feel good. I feel, like, uh, I feel like we've been working on something big and secretive behind the scenes for like a month. And now we've just put it all out there in this episode. So feel good, Noah. It's really, it's really been, honestly, it's been a little over a year. I mean, if you think about it, it's been in little stages here mm-hmm. and there, you know, or over the time. But really the process, you know, we let something run for four or five months to see if it's, yep. you know, really going to work. Yeah. It's really, it's a year project, the culmination yeah. of. I guess I'm just glad that it didn't have to slide backwards. You know, it went in the right direction, I think, you know, because there was always that yeah, possibility. And actually, if you think about it, it's funny because, like, if you would have set out and outlined the things that we tried to accomplish back in back in April, beginning of April, yeah. and laid those out, what we have wound up with, not only have we not only have we hit those goals, yeah. we've hit, like, a bunch of milestones above yeah. and beyond, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and also, I think if you would have started with the end goal in mind, we would have given up because it just wouldn't have worked. Having gone through that year-long process, we learned a lot. Like yeah. what we've brought to the audience uh, was seriously a year's worth of really hard learned lessons and combos that we had to come to. And there's still there's a lot of bits that we can't answer all in one show. We could always do future shows if people are interested, but we figure we kind of have to keep it high level. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's pretty nice. And it, it's really it's really something that as we grow, we can now add on to this system in just such a cool, straightforward way. And a lot of that is made possible thanks to our patrons, too. Uh, I'll give one more plug for patreon.com slash today because I'll probably post this whole live stream, all of this stuff over there. Mm-hmm. So if you watch this episode, want to see more of it, you can go get a Patreon, get access to all that stuff, plus all the past stuff, including some tours you and I did in the studio talking about stuff while we were working oh, yeah. on some of this. That's up there. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. I replaced our spotlight. Oh, the, the burn is real, huh? I replaced our spotlight. Just, oh, really? You, well, okay. you had a filler in there. No, you had the filler in there. I did? Yeah, you said, I'll come back and replace this later. Remember you had a little note in there that said that? Oh, yeah. I meant that I was going to put the link back in there. Oh. But that's okay. Wait, was no, it, wasn't, right. it like, wasn't it like K3B or something? Don't. Yeah, but it saved my butt this week. Thanks Dude, to Sig. Who's but calling me? Literally, how old is... I... 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 I, I that's okay. That's I all right. Mean, like... No, I mean it's solid because when you go, sometimes when you do those old weird ones, people love it. So no, I, it's, okay. it's, it's fine. Here, I'm here, just thinking. Here's no, here's what I'm thinking. I'm I'm literally thinking it was like an app pick like seven or eight years ago before mm-hmm. we were keeping track of the app picks. Is I think is what's up. I think it's been an app pick. It was just probably like eight years ago that it was an app pick. Wait, you replaced the app pick or you replaced the spotlight? 
I shit, we didn't have spotlights back in the day, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, here, here's here. So, so here's the trade-off because because you're gonna make fun of my K3B. I just won't tell you how K3B has literally saved me from dumping. No, I want to know. No, it's okay. No, it's all I right. No, from I was I was a I was a I was a uh, I, I was I was close. I had threatened to move to Windows. That's how mad I. Whoa. Why? No way. And K3B saved it. No but now you way. Don't, now you don't get to know. No way. No way. No way. No way. I wouldn't actually switch to it, but I was threatening it because I was really mad. Wow. What? Okay. You got to tell me. You got to tell me what happened. I spent. I, I, all right. I'll just tease it, and then here's what I'll do. We should tease it, and then next week. Okay. We can, all we right. Can, okay. 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 So, so er, two nights ago or three nights ago, I am I'm sitting in my house, and Sarah says we just finished our bedroom, so we, we're sitting in the bedroom for the first night, and Sarah goes, "Let's watch. Let's get a movie, and let's cuddle up on the bed and watch a movie." I'm like, "Oh, that sounds like a great yeah, idea." I bet. So we Finally. go. To, so this starts at like four in the afternoon, right? I go to Redbox. So you're planning myself, this like way. This is like this is more planning than you do for like a trip, even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't really planning. It just I was, we were gonna watch a movie. Yeah, like no, I'm just 4. teasing 15. you. I'm just teasing. Yeah. So we go to. So anyway, so we get to the, the Redbox and we get the movie. Now I don't own a Blu-ray player. I don't. I don't have a Blu-ray player, DVD player, any of that stuff. I, I don't own one. All I have is my stupid antiquated. Nobody likes my little Western digital boxes. So <laughs> I know it's fine, order, dude. It's in fine. order for me to watch a movie. There is there is literally no other option but for it to be for it to be ripped digital. Yeah, and it's pretty much my. I actually in same boat. In fact, I don't think this. I mentioned this on Unplugged a couple of weeks ago, and like everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, same, same. I think this is getting more and more common. So in yeah. order to even watch it legally, you got to have it in digital form. It doesn't legally, legally doesn't matter. I have no optical player in my house. I don't even own one. So I sit down to, and thanks to sixteen oh four being this wonderful latest distro with all the latest libraries and everything's going to work great. No, no kidding, dude. 7.30 rolls around, and I'm still trying to figure out how to rip this movie. Not like I have tried to rip it and it fails. Like, I can't even get started. It's so bad. And I'm, I'm talking to Rakai, and he's trying to help me fix this. And, like, finally 7, I'm like, screw it. Maybe I'll just go to Best Buy and buy a Windows box. At least I could rip my DVD and I could watch a movie. Because I, apparently in 1604, I can't rip DVDs. And I got so, I got so mad, and eventually K3B saved me. But it's okay. We won't talk no, about no, it. No, no, you said no. Okay, well, no, now you have. Now here's the question, though. So, because uh, that's a good tease for next week. But so the question I have is: Is there a point where if your Western Digital Live box wasn't so old school? So, for example, the Nvidia Shield that I, I honestly think is the best set top box ever created, uh, yep. the Nvidia Shield TV. Mm-hmm. The one really nice thing about it too is like when I'm all like hail mary, I can't get any of my media playback solutions to work. It mm-hmm. has Google Play and it has Epics on it, and I could just, for nine bucks, buy the movie. Would you have been willing? If like after all of that, would you like if you see enough? If you had the Google Play app on your Western Digital Live, would you have considered yeah. if they just had the movie on Google Play? Maybe I, I would have definitely considered it. Honestly, probably before I did that, I would have just torrented it, just because I, I just get so yeah. sick of not. The nice, thing about, so, the nice thing about the Play app is it just starts on your TV. I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to show you. Uh, let me see if I can find this real quick. Uh, there is, I have one thing. It, It's the same kind of idea. The only problem I have with the NVIDIA Shield is, my understanding is to use an IR remote, you have to have a, a little USB dongle. Probably. And you have to, yeah. So, and that, that kind of kills it for me because all of my remotes in my house are, they're all universal and they sync up. So why not but just get a little that, IR thing? Why not just get a little adapter? Well, because you have to, the, the IR thing, you have to have, there's no way for me to pr- the com- the remotes that I have are programmed at the computer and there's no computer template for 
random USB IR guy I bought on Amazon. Ah. But let me show you this. And it let me seems see what like, you I mean, just uh, as in a quick aside, I think that is probably not a problem of four or five years from now, because the one yeah, thing you definitely... Don't all be RF. Well, I was going to say Wi-Fi, really. I think, oh, yeah. like, all of the Maybe? media centers, like, all the software you can manage using Wi-Fi apps. Uh, on your on your phone or yeah, on I mean even, I could do that I mean I could do that yeah with my phone too but the the thing is like when I get into bed like my phone is plugged in and charging I, I oh, just want to you'd want to use it I'm just saying oh, like that's yeah. the nice advantage is along with there are remotes that support Wi-Fi you can also right. use your phone so I, I linked you I, I I said in Telegram I sent you a link but this box I'd be interested to see what you think of it actually it's a it's it's a it's a it's a quad core Android streaming box for like ninety eight bucks comes out of the box default installed with uh, Cody and uh, has gotten really good reviews. So I if I think that if I ever got to a point where I was going to hmm. replace my, my Western Digital box, I think this is probably what I would do it with simply because I know that Cody will meet all of my requirements. I just yeah. haven't found a box that I can like buy Amazon Prime, take it out of the box, plug it in and just have it start this playing my media. My main lesson learned in all of this stuff, to be honest with you, and this is why mm -hmm. I think the Shield is such a good media set-top box, because obviously if I could have my way, it wouldn't be Android. But I have I I have a few requirements. My requirements are that it supports mainstream streaming services. Like for me, it's a huge because I'm I'm a cord cutter up up and I live in the freaking RV. It's a huge advantage that I can run the Sling TV app and I can watch like CNN oh, yeah. and Real TV. It's a huge advantage to have the Netflix app and YouTube is where I now watch 90% of my TV is YouTube. Yeah. Now. And I don't I'm not even watching a TV series right now except for Silicon Valley uh, uh, via Plex. And so for uh -huh. me, what I'm trying to get to is. It makes such a huge difference when these computers are irresponsibly overpowered, where yeah. they just have a ton of compute power, but at the same time, I want it to be silent and fanless and slim. And mm -hmm. like that's the problem with building my own home theater PC, is I never can quite get that. Right. And this NVIDIA Shield, it is way more horsepower than you need for Kodi playback. And and that means that means the second like before my finger is even fully off the play, like I've, I've pressed the play button and like I'm not even lifted off completely the button, it's already playing the show that I want to watch. And for me, uh -huh. that kind of responsiveness on my TV, I like it. See, when I was a kid, I changed the channels and the TV just changed channels. Like it would pop, 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 pop. There was no yeah. like digital yeah, yeah, TV yeah. delay or or like TV guide information that like g -g 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 thing comes up. It was yep. pop, pop, yep. pop, pop, pop. That's what I want when I hit play on my TV. I want immediate playback. And that's that's what mm -hmm. I love about the Shield is the UI never lags, and uh, you know you can have a whole, you can have a Blu-ray like 16 gigabyte MKV file playing back. 22 gigabyte is my largest MKV file playing back, completely spotless, no flaws at all. Switching audio tracks, changing from 3D to 2D, just all mm -hmm. the goodness. Uh, and same thing like jumping around in YouTube videos, jumping around in Netflix. And the other nice thing is because it has that nice CPU and, and memory, is it. I swear it streams Netflix better than anything else does too, because it has a better buffer. And I'm, you know, I'm doing this over a MiFi, so it, anything, anything that can, that is, that has enough processing power and enough mm -hmm. RAM to sort of smooth out a little bit of, uh, of, you know, connection ups and downs 
man, mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge thing. So see, see, and for me, I'm I don't care about any sort of streaming service. Uh, what I want is when I pull it out of the box, I want to plug it in and I want to play media. I don't want to configure servers. I don't want to enter user information. I don't want I to think, enter login stuff. I think I just you, want to plug it in and play. You stuff. need to you need to you need to reconsider that decision and using Plex, but you need to do it in a way that makes sense for you, so it actually works. It's not you forcing in just. I mean, just for food for food for thought. Like your entire mm-hmm. situation last night. If you had an Apple TV or an Nvidia Shield or something that had any of the online movie services, you could have had that working in 30 seconds, and you yeah, would have the, you would have the movie then, playing. The, the problem is, it doesn't. It only solves the problem temporarily, right? Like, yeah, I would have gotten through the movie tonight, but it doesn't solve the you movie. You got so angry, tomorrow. you threatened to switch to Windows. You could have avoided all of that stress. With one and we all know that would never actually happen. I'm just saying. I know. I know. Because then I'd have to call up Emma and get her to switch you back to Linux. Yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> that'd take forever. <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. I just, I know. I see. I think there's a couple of things. There's a couple of technology concepts that uh, you're ahead of the curve on for than mm-hmm. most people. I think most technology concepts, you're ahead of the curve than most people. But there's a couple. Now that I've gotten to know you for a while, it is yeah. interesting to see that you have fallen in a rut of well, this is the way I do it and it I works have, for me. And like, I have totally fallen into like, a rut. In sync fact, services are definitely that for you because they could be a huge. They could they could fundamentally, if once you understand the concept of a transparent <coughs> file system that follows you wherever you go and how unbelievably empowering that is for like reloading your machines and having mm-hmm. data available to you and 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 Noah like the same file paths on every single computer. You open up your video yeah. editor and all of the apps Assets and all of the resources are always available Just in the same spot. Up, yeah. It's gorgeous, but you don't do it. You don't try it because you got your. And well, I'm telling I, you, I'm not saying replace local playback because if anything, after having um, now moved into the RV, I am I am doubled down on local playback. I'm all about right. local playback. I'm I'm loving local playback. I'm not saying abandon local playback, but I'm saying local playback augmented with online streaming services gives I, you that flexibility that when your local setup doesn't work, oh, I'll just go to Google Play today. I, I, to, I, told, I told Rakai, because he said the same thing. You're both absolutely right. I've totally fallen into a rut, and I'm clinging to a bygone era of, you know, early 2000s. But I uh, I told him, I said, this is my last stand. This is my last stand <laughs> against Internet services, against uh, against things that I have to activate, against things that I have to create accounts for, against things that I have to rely on some other kind. This is my last stand. I, 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 I just, the only thing in my life that I want to be local, that I just refuse to budge on, is my media stuff. I just- I'm not saying want, not have local. Uh, I'm saying absolutely have actually, a local. I'm saying and actually, and, and actually, to be completely honest, like, if you think about it, I've never, ever had an issue playing any of the stuff I already have. Yeah. The problem yeah, is, it's like, the disc. it's, it's the getting disc. increasingly yeah. more difficult to add to my media library. So, but that's, here, hold on. So, that's where the online streaming services come in, is they replace that totally weird one-off, I'm going to go get a disc. You just stop doing that. And now you just, that totally weird one-off, I'm going to buy it from online. Hey, you know what we want to do tonight? We want to be super lazy, and we don't already have this movie. Let's just click the button. Because you spend about as much as you would to go to Redbox anyways, especially when you include gas. And and, That's true. And but, your time. But but here's so we rented Ant Man. That was the movie, right? And you know what the very first words out of my son's mouth this morning were? I want to watch hey, Ant Man. Yeah. You know yeah. Hey Dad, you know that movie we watched last night? Could you put that on my laptop because I want to watch yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. if I had done the one-off streaming thing, that now I still have the problem of, of you can't buy Ant-Man. it. You can buy it, but then you have to pay full price. But for like but you even know, even if I, but here's that's my point. Even if I, I mean, DVD is a DVD, right? If I like, let's just let's say instead of Redbox, let's say I went to Best Buy and bought a DVD. 
of Ant-Man, I would have been in the same situation. Like I still have no way of getting, it's, it's just, it is fundamentally getting more difficult to get legal media from the, uh -huh. the from the antiquated optical way yeah. that they want you to watch it to a modern way that I'm I'm going to do it one way or the other. Yeah. So, and really what this means is people like you and me, eventually we're just gonna get to a point where we're gonna say, you know what, I just, it's not that I'm unwilling to pay 20, 30, $40 for an optical disc. There's just nothing I can do with it. So yeah. it's a waste of my time and yeah. effort. And I guess I'll just torrent it. You know, or you know what we've been doing? Just YouTubing. There's a lot of good, yeah, like, but the, people it putting... Down, it gets pulled down, though. If it's no, a no, 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 I'm not anyway. saying no. No, I'm saying totally original YouTube content. Uh, oh. There's just, there's... It, it's like, uh, you know, the whole, like, tip of the iceberg analogy is so overused. But, like, you think you have an idea of what's on YouTube. It is... Mm -hmm. Unbelievable! Once you get below the surface, how many how many people are up there that are creating all these different crazy kinds of things? Like Eric Nomadic, the fanatic, and Gone with the Winds—the tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. It is huge. And so sometimes you just sit back, you watch some of that s. It's fascinating.